0: kind of day we can learn to work and play and get along with each other time for the Motor City maniac the wit from the mid the great lakes grandmaster the motown madman the mittens killer kitten we ran out of nicknames you're listening to louder with crowder
1: good day to you listening of course all across michigan online and We're so thrilled now. Anchorage, Alaska, of all places, has picked up this program. As always, the most disrespectful producer slash sidekick in radio, insubordinate, fun dip, Dan. (laughs) Good morning, Alaska. Good morning, Ferndale.
2: Good morning, Florida. No, Alaska is not morning. They get in the afternoon. Well, they might be. Listen to this again tomorrow morning on your recorder. There you go. Anchorage,
1: Alaska, of all things. By the way, I'm coming in a fine, right, on this microphone.
2: Well, you're adequate. You still don't sound as good as I do. Of course. I never
1: do. I never do, fun dip. This is a busy week. Busy weeks. We've got Hillary Clinton scandal, surprise. Got Benjamin Netanyahu. Uh, He don't take no craps. And then we've got (laughs) the LA. Our morning coffee hit in early this morning. You should have seen or heard the rush before we went on air. Poor, and then poor uh, Stephen. LAPD shooting. And, of course, the, uh, the Ferguson DOJ report. Before we get to anything, why is Eric Holder allowed to investigate anything other than himself? I mean, am I the only one who finds that incredibly ironic? It's just
2: frustrating. It's like, what is he doing?
1: Eric Holder, I'm going to make sure. Nobody else is doing any stuff they shouldn't be doing. Only me. Yeah, only me. <laughs> only black Ned. F- he looks like a photo negative of Ed Fland- Ned Flanders. I've been saying it for years. Picture a photo. Take You take the photo negative of Ned Flanders to a dark room. It's Eric Holder.
0: Anyway,
1: <laughs> uh, that has not, nothing to do with substance. No, nothing substantive there. It's just an ad hominem. But, uh, Also, for those people who don't know, Fundam, can we talk about your injury this week? Oh,
2: my gosh. Yeah, that was horrible. Oh, wait. Which reminds me, I need to take some drugs. This is true. Well, that's our big
1: guest today, Dr. Phyllis Boniface, who actually is there at U of M. Uh, Ann Arbor is a psychiatrist. She's an MD in neuropsychiatry. And she's going to come on to talk with us here in in half an hour, yeah, about marijuana and its effects on the brain. Because there's a lot of misinformation out there. And if states are going to be legalizing it, I'm not saying they shouldn't be able to. We're not necessarily having the constitutional argument. But there is a, a notable increase in usage among young people in the United States, uh, the perception that it's harmless. And, and that's important to discuss. So I, I think you'll, uh, you'll love what she has to say. I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to learning Fun dip.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, really, if you want to learn about drugs, join a band and just watch your cohorts.
1: Well speaking of drugs, before we get into the news, you had a pretty serious scare this week. Oh
2: man, we were at the di- there's a dinosaur exhibit discover the dinosaurs that was at Cobo Hall in Detroit. And uh, the previous day I had played laser tag with Ben. So I probably did something that day. But we're at the Discover the Dinosaurs exhibit. I'm walking around, and my back is getting tighter and tighter and tighter. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Had to sit down, tried to walk a little bit more. Eventually, it was so bad, I said, let's just get out of here. We'll go to, go to dinner. Maybe sitting down at dinner, I'll, be, I'll feel better. Dinner didn't help. Went to the hospital after dinner and uh, ended up at the hospital laying flat on my face Oh, for a couple hours before they finally said, well, let's see if we can get you up and walk again. I'm like, you haven't given me any medicine yet. How am I going to be better just from laying here? So they got me up. I fell flat on the floor, and they said, maybe we should give you some medicine. So then they gave me an IV of uh, morphine. They gave me a Valium pill and a Toradol. And then 20 minutes later, they tried to get me to stand up again. That didn't work. About an hour after that, they they got me standing up, sitting over into a chair, and then I watched uh, Downton Abbey on the little house. Okay, okay. Now we're getting off. (laughs) But the good thing is, no
1: no serious spinal damage. It was was a a muscular spasm, right?
2: Yeah, it must have been the muscles. So they didn't do an MRI. I wish they had, because I'd love to know for sure. It's all this just... Six or seven doctors coming in, and they all looked like fetuses walking in. They were so damn young.
1: And oh, I thought you meant
2: they were bald. No, they were just ridiculously
1: young. Well, I, you know what? I will tell you this. We're going to have Mark Ripto on next week, but um, that is a real problem when you just go into these hospitals. I mean, you know, I, I had a really pretty serious
2: back scare. Yeah, uh, well, I, and I, I'm having remembered hearing that, I, I texted you, and I'm like,
1: give me some advice. Help. Right. Well, that's why we sent out a tweet. So I wanted to know, because, you know, you had a lot of people praying for you out there on Twitter, whether you uh, whether you believe in the big man upstairs or not. You know, well, the sentiment should make you feel nice.
2: I'll, ad- I'll admit that I actually prayed a little myself just in case. Of course, I started ah. off with like, hi, I don't know if you remember me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know if you're even there, but if you are, uh, could you could you lend a helping hand here? Yeah, And so I didn't hear anything back from him, but I'm walking again. So maybe well, more he's than just ever, silent and helpful.
1: More than ever, we'll have to get... You know, if you want, I can help you with this really basic stuff as far as strength training and getting those muscles working again. And um, we should start a fitness blog. We should start it, and you can get it up on. My, I'll give you access to my YouTube channel because I, I mean, I, you know, you have a few thousand people watching. It probably won't be like one of those million video views, but there are a lot of people out there who care about you, Fundip, and want to see you do well. So I'd love for them to be able to see your progress and support you.
2: Oh, no, that'd be kind of cool, yeah. It's just ignore the anti-Semitic rants that appear on <laughs> your
0: That's just YouTube.
2: I'm a fat Irishman.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I not, like Jewish food. But, yeah, you know. well, they, that's enough for them to hate you, apparently, which, by the way, leads us into Netanyahu. So I'll come back after uh, Dr. Phyllis Boniface and talk about my back incident, because it ties into drugs, actually.
2: Um, did you see Netanyahu's speech this week? I heard it on the radio, but I didn't get a chance to see it.
1: Well, yeah, that's right. You're a radio guy. I always picture C. Fund if anytime there's breaking news, I picture him like the families in Cinderella Man listening to the Pride of the Irish Jimmy Braddock fight in the title <laughs> fight, and they're sitting by the radio, come and on, le- Jimmy. leaning in. Yeah, exactly. on my my big tube radio. And Renee Zellweger, I don't want my children to hear it on the radio, and she just looks so weird now, Renee Zellweger. She was so cute, and now it's like, ah, oh, you just can't yo-yo your weight that much as a woman, I think, yeah. and come out of it unscathed. And Jerry Maguire. Man, she was a tasty dish.
2: I liked her in the one uh with with Obi-Wan Kenobi where it looked like it took place in the 60s.
1: Oh, oh, um, uh, uh something love, something love. Something much love all of crazy love crazy about love,
2: something love. Something like that. Yeah, it was it was it it kind of harkened back to the Rock Hudson Doris Day type films. Yeah.
1: Back before Rock Hudson was secretly playing doctor with Gorm, Gomer Pyle, right?
2: Golly, sir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: I don't know if that's what he said when they were being romantic together, but I'm
2: sure <laughs> no, that he just started up. breaking into song. I'm Gomer Pyle with a big deep voice. Strange.
1: I we just can't we can't get off into that tangent because it'll take us somewhere unhealthy for for radio. So, Ben er, uh, Benjamin Netanyahu. Here's the thing. I've talked about this before, right? Even if you don't necessarily know a lot about Israel-Israeli policy, their history, and, and why they deserve to exist on that plot of land, even if you were never skeptical of Barack Obama, right, you should be able to look at this at a cursory glance and say, okay, hold on a second. I'm not skeptical of Barack Obama, but right now I'm going to look at the list of Iranian officials who want the extermination of Jews... And I'm immediately going to start. I'm immediately going to start being skeptical if 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 you'll see Iran and in uh, Ahmadinejad saying, oh, I think uh, I think it's going good with Barack Obama. I think he's going to bring uh, he's going to change the great American evil. And then you have Netanyahu, the one guy who runs a country out there where they don't hang their gays or beat the crap out of their women. Saying yeah, I, I just think this guy's a fraud. I don't think that Barack Obama's given us the support we need, and we'll do it without him, just at a curse just just looking at it from, from just a just a bird's eye view, wouldn't you think funded that someone would go, okay, maybe we're in the wrong here?
2: no because the people that support Obama are just following blindly, they're not paying attention to the actual events i've I've seen friends on Facebook say that Israel is the bad guy, and they need to stop being mean to the Palestinians. I'm like, it's their land. If the, if the Palestinians would just move out of their house, let them move back in, they'd leave them alone.
1: Well, okay, that's a little bit simplified. And you know, if someone came in, and here's the deal. When Israel was given the land, by the way, by the UN, the same people who want them out now, and everyone loves to praise the UN. By the, I think the UN is crap. I don't think we should be a part of the UN anymore because it basically serves to exist as the I hate Israel club. The UN gave them that land that was non-existent. It was, it was, it was World War II. Okay,
2: the Jews kind of had it bad. The in World War Two,
1: you heard they heard a German accent. Their head was on a swivel. Holy crap! What's going on? That's how bad it was. They had no place to go. Up, you know, depending on who you ask, anywhere from 7 to 10 million Jews exterminated, okay? And they said, here, let's go to this plot of land where no one exists. There was never a Palestinian country. It never existed. It was the Arabs who people didn't want in their own country. They went out there. It was given to them legally. Immediately, three armies tried to wipe them off the face of the map in a defensive maneuver, Israel protected themselves, gained land, which they gave back. That's the seven-day war. Egypt, Jordan, Syria said, we're going to exterminate the Jews. And Israel said, please don't, please don't, please don't. And Then they defended themselves and you're still condemning them. And then to this day... Ahmadinejad said that Israel must be wiped off the face of the map, that they will be eliminated, and now they're looking for nuclear capabilities. And we have an administration who says, well, we're just going to tell them to not get nuclear capabilities, but the fact is, they're playing the Yeti Haskell. Iran's saying, we're just going to use it for power. By the way, I thought liberals were against nuclear power. That's a big reason we're not transitioning there. It's not green enough, even though it would be fantastic, and clean, and reliable. So why is it that it's okay for Iran to get nuclear power? And it's not for us. Well, let me tell you from my point of view, it's not okay for Iran to get any nuclear power whatsoever. Are you just saying you're just an interventionist? No, I am saying we're the good guys. Israel's the good guys. They're the bad guys. We don't kill people solely for the color of their skin. We don't kill people for being gay. We don't kill people solely for being Jewish. Iran does. And they've said that Israel must be wiped off the face of the map. They've laid out a battle plan. They should have no nuclear capabilities. And when Netanyahu speaks on this... And he says, hey, this is what needs to happen. I think we do well to listen. That's an opinion. We'll get into the facts after this break. But that's just an opinion, folks. That's just advice. That's all it is, fellas. You can do whatever the heck you want to do. Louder with Crowder. Hey, this is Steven Crowder with Louder with Crowder to tell you about one of my favorite sites on the web, AR15.com. I know you hear AR15 saying, isn't that the scary black rifle? It is, but AR15.com is actually the best website if you want a community from which to learn about how to care for your gun, gun safety, where to find concealed permits, courses, as well as the best online gun store in the business. I'm talking ammo, accessories, upgrades, all of it can be found at AR15.com. That's AR15.com.
0: You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder.
1: So glad to have you back. And so glad, isn't that awesome, Fun Dip, Anchorage, Alaska?
2: Very cool, very cool.
1: I would love to be able to, wouldn't it be fun to go up there and do it live sometime?
2: Yeah, that might be kind of cool, as long as you buy the train ticket. Or the plane oh, ticket?
1: Oh yeah, I'm not paying for the I'm not paying for the ticket. But uh, you know, it's funny. Alaska isn't a huge state. You know, it, it, what, it is that, a
2: huge state. It's well, the I mean largest state in the union.
1: I mean, population wise. Oh. I think it's about eight hundred thousand. But if you're in Anchorage, you pretty much cover Alaska. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. our wonderful Ladder with Crowder affiliate there. It actually Joe Miller has a show there every day, and then once a week uh, on K O A N Alaska. You'll be hearing louder with Crowder, so we're glad we appreciate it. And um, I guess that technically makes us syndicated.
2: Oh yeah, very cool, very
1: cool. We can, you know, it's funny we've talked about this. Like I've never, I haven't really actively gone after syndication because I focus online, you know, focus on getting this online where a lot of people listen. But um, ah, maybe it's time now. Maybe people need to start hearing this on. Uh, maybe they're ready for Fun Dip prime time. Just for those of you who don't know, Fun Dip right now is knocking back uh, Vicodins. No, sir. So,
2: I've got a pill in my mouth. I've got hydrocodone acetaminophen. That's, like it That's what it is? Yeah. Oh, That's ibuprofen, 600 milligrams. <laughs> you know what it is. And cyclobenzoprene 10 milligrams. So, That's a muscle relaxant, I think. Yeah, I'm going to be flying here in a minute. <laughs> oh, gosh. I, is that legal? I mean,
1: you can't have a beer in an FCC building, but you can be hopped up on painkillers.
2: Yeah, I think you can still take transmitter readings on these. Well, you
1: know what? We've, so we've got tons to talk about with mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton, the LAPD shooting. That's a huge story, and I actually have some facts that many of you listening right now probably don't know if you haven't watched the video. We have the video at louderwithcrowder.com. By the way, you can always listen to, the, uh, listen to the podcasts for free. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, louderwithcrowder.com. A lot of people are often asking, where is this archived? Everything is free everything we do is free and accessible and some of you will still complain that's fine and watch
2: the funny videos cuz there's some crazy funny videos he dresses up as like superman and as uh Muhammad. <laughs> there's some wild ones man
1: uh thanks appreciate it fun dip see fun dip never used to like me just so you know when we first came into the show he didn't like me he didn't want me to do the show and now i always tell fun dip he gets uncomfortable i love you fun dip
2: oh yeah come here
1: baby <laughs>
0: Seriously, now it's
2: uncomfortable.
1: But you know, you know I, I I, mean, I'm not just saying this in the Christian sense. You know I love you, right? You know that I really do care. I mean, when you were in your, you know, I was texting. Oh, yeah. You, you to make sure if, I, okay. if I
2: if I didn't think it was real, I wouldn't have been texting you while I'm laying in a hospital bed. And please, always do. Honestly, if no, ever. I don't want to be texting you from hospital beds often. No, but <laughs> if
1: ever you're there, you know, and Ugh, something comes down. That was down. scary. Yeah, it was really scary. And actually, my mother-in-law really loves you, too. She um, she texted me... um. Have What's I met your
0: mother-in-law?
1: Fun? No, you haven't met my mother-in-law, but she listens to the show, and she—you oh, cool. uh, she, have met her. She came over to the studio one time. I think did I did I meet your your folks yet? I know I met your mom on the phone. You met my mom on the phone. She's great. Um, no, my mother-in-law came in before I ever had a show there at Wham. You know, she lived in Ann Arbor. Oh, okay. With so she, you, but she's a real sweetheart, Mrs. Uh, Miss Corzon Sherry. We love you too. It's a big love fest today. But uh, yeah, it's 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 one of those things where the hospitals. I I'll talk about my incident after the break. We have to get to the guest at six thirty, Doctor Phyllis Boniface, and I know everyone is talking about Hillary Hillary Ferguson Netanyahu. We'll get back to that. Uh, but we do love to have very interesting guests on this show who might cover things. It's kind of NPR a little bit, but more entertaining with with, with wiener jokes,
2: you know. We, <laughs>
1: We interview people who are qualified in their field and actually make for good radio. And Boniface is fantastic. And I'll tell you what: some of the things she she's on which she's educated me on marijuana were fascinating. She talked into trying some. Yeah. <laughs> now she just talked you into swallowing Vicodin
2: like they're M Ms. I had no idea that this was Vicodin. This must be like the the. Medical name for it. Well,
1: you know what's funny about that, that Vicodin, right? It's hydrocodone and acetaminophen. Acetaminophen is Tylenol. The more dangerous component, even in lower doses, is the Tylenol.
2: Oh, that man. That can
1: really mess up your liver. If well, you Tylenol take
2: was really dangerous back in the 80s. What, was it toxic or something? No, there was, there was a big uh, oh, Tylenol yeah, yeah. scare where somebody had put uh, poison in it. Yeah. As a kid, I was, I was scared to death of Tylenol for at least 10 years. Yeah, that's a terrible branding
1: fiasco. You know what else happened, something similar to that, was uh, a lot of people don't realize Schlitz beer was number one in the country for a long time, till the 70s, where they had a contamination at their plant, and that was all it took, and Budweiser took them over. So you kind of always think Budweiser's always been the king of beers. It was actually Schlitz, and then they had a contamination, they tried to rebrand, they changed the formula, and it just never really worked. So now they've released it kind of in a retro can, and they say traditional Schlitz formula or yeah. the 1960s formula. It just never worked. Sometimes people don't recover from that.
2: You, you know, It was amazing that New Coke, uh, that fiasco, that they survived that whole thing. Right.
1: Which is funny, though. You know what? Uh, I just got a tweet from a gentleman, uh, Bayer. You know, aspirin's been around forever, and it's the one thing that actually they say you should take every day. You know, a baby aspirin. It's actually good for you.
2: Oh, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, good for and your maybe heart. And aspirins actually don't taste bad. I don't know.
1: I mean, it's just because they're small.
2: Well, they're a the little fruity flavor. They have like a fruit flavor added to them. Well,
1: I hear that. That means we're going out for this half hour. So we are going to be back with our wonderful guest, Dr. Phyllis Boniface, to talk marijuana. We'll be back to discuss the LAPD shooting, Ferguson Report, Hillary emails, and more about Netanyahu. All the news that matters and some that doesn't. Louder with Prouder. Stay tuned. If you're anything like me, you enjoy a good glass of wine. But finding the right kind can be a hassle, or maybe you want to buy a nice bottle as a gift but don't know where to start. That's where Simplified Wine comes in. Simplified Wine makes buying good wine simple. Just call 844-297-WINE, where a qualified sommelier will take your information budget, send you a curated list, and then wine straight to your door. It's just that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to get great wine, but the least expensive. do is call simplified wine at 844-297-WINE that's 844-297-WINE or don't like phone calls you can just go to simplifiedwine.com and hit the simplify button same thing just digital any wine you want they can get just call simplified wine at 844-297-WINE to have the best wine at the best price delivered straight to
2: your door guaranteed what could possibly be simpler call simplified wine today 844-297-WINE
0: To dance to a
1: happy song. We are back, Louder with Crowder. I'm very excited about our next guest because we've had her on the show before, but only on YouTube, on the, the web show, I guess you can say. She caught a lot of flack, uh, a neuropsychiatrist, specialty, I, it's very specialized, very brilliant lady, Dr. Phyllis Boniface. Thank you so much for coming on the show.
3: It's my pleasure, Stephen.
1: Okay, so... You kind of felt a little bit of the backlash of YouTube at that point. We did a video on marijuana, right, when it was legalized in Colorado and sort of examined where you are in Ann Arbor, the decriminalization and and what happens legally, what are the ramifications. But I want to clarify something. In the video, I didn't say... The government should be able to outlaw pot in every state. As a matter of fact, I I take the libertarian stance. If pots want to legalize it, fine. The problem I had is all the people who say legalize all drugs, legalize pot, in order to get that passed, they generally aren't as forthcoming about the harms of marijuana. And I think if you're an adult and you want to harm your body, fine – but the people who are wanting to legalize it aren't taking on the responsibility of assisting in education. So that's what we had you on to do, which seems benign enough, right, for you to just say, hey, here are the ways pot might be bad for you, and people were furious. Did that surprise you?
3: Not really. Uh, I've spoken (laughs) at some forums before, and I know that there's a lot of pro-marijuana people out there, and uh, I I always find it instructive to read the comments and how people actually – make their arguments, of people who are very pro-marijuana and obviously heavy users, their, their arguments kind of illustrate the points that we're trying to make, that it, it can cause problems and deficits in people's thinking. Right. So uh, it's exhibit A.
1: <laughs> Ex- yes, exactly. Well, it's funny, if you Google right now, you know, marijuana bad, the first searches that come up are People try and tell you marijuana's bad, but it's right-wing propaganda. So, first off, you yourself are a libertarian, right?
3: That's correct, except in the area of drugs.
1: Okay, except in the area of drugs. Um, and that's obviously because you would probably be more qualified than Sweet Cherry 84 at Yahoo.com commenting on YouTube. Uh, so, I will tell you this. Being raised as a millennial, really, in my generation, we're raised to think it's benign, it's less harmful than alcohol. Right. That it's 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 one of those things people used to think was bad and it's not anymore. Have you noticed that being a trend right now with young people where they're growing up just thinking, ah, it's like smoking a cigarette?
3: Absolutely. I think there's a greater perception that it's kind of a harmless pleasure. And a lot of the young people that I treat in my practice, they're high school students or college students, and they feel it's like having a beer or two. And they actually don't they don't drink as much as they smoke pot now. That's what they do. Uh, when they go to a party on weekends, they smoke marijuana. And so I think there's a decreased perception of risk mm-hmm. and an increasing, uh, uh, embracing that that's part of their culture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. You know, I was raised in, in, Montreal where it's basically less than a speeding ticket. And this is entirely anecdotal. I cannot point you to one of my friends. It was very common, but a huge portion of, of, I wouldn't say close friends, people that hung out with smoked pot, every single one of them had some kind of a change in their personality or their psychological behavior by the end of high school. And I don't know if I that's just me as a as a dummy looking at my friend going, Ah, you were pretty smart in middle school and now you're an idiot. Is is there some actual neurology there that would that would back that up?
3: Well, absolutely. I I would say in the scientific world, they always say, you know, the plural of anecdote is not data. But we really do have data to support your observations uh, that a lot of your friends who maybe started out with promise didn't end up with their full potential. And that's the real concern here, um, because we're talking about millions of of young people who are using regularly. And I define regular use as just once a week. And and chillingly, uh, the monitoring the future study here at U of M shows that 6.5% or more of high school uh, students are using it daily, not just weekly. Okay. So, you know, we're looking at huge swaths of the population, not just a few friends. Uh, It's becoming the accepted norm.
1: Right. Now, okay, so you're talking about people who are teenagers, right, in high school. Um, To be fair, if you're a healthy adult, let's say, with no history of psychosis or mental disorder, if... A healthy adult were to smoke every now and then, let's say, in their own house. I'm not endorsing this. I don't do it. So please hold your your letters. It would be relatively harmless in comparison to the developing brain, right? Right.
3: Well, I would say that youth in uh, youth, and again, we have to define youth. A lot of the studies that have been done prospectively have been 18 and under, okay. but it's clear that the brain doesn't finish uh, wiring itself till about 24 or 25. So a lot of the studies now are continuing that, that observational study up until those age groups. So, I mean, it's speculation to say that people over the age of, you know, brain maturation have no deficits. The patients that I see, of course, they have psychiatric illnesses. They have anxiety or mood disorders. And a little bit of marijuana completely, you know, throws them into a uh, uh, uh a relapse. So um, mine is not the typical population. Right. You know, I, I do have friends, unfortunately, professionals who even physicians who smoke marijuana, and all I can say is, uh, you know, I, I can see subtle changes in their behavior when they're using versus when they're not. But they clearly function at a high level. Um, so. Sure. We have to define also, you know, when we look at IQ problems, and we'll talk a little bit more specifically about that, you know, if you start off with an IQ of 137 and you lose seven or eight IQ points, you're still, you know, highly functional, you know, versus the bell curve of the population, you know, when they lose seven or eight IQ points, they go from average to low average, and that's enormously consequential. So, again, it depends on the user.
1: I guess, I, you know, I didn't even really think about that when you look at the bell curve. I... Um... I took those online IQ tests because I wanted to become a member of Mensa only to do a hidden camera video with Mensa where I would go in and just be like, hey, what if what if everyone's right? What if we're all really just jackasses who are self-important? And I think I was shy by like by like a couple points. Uh, so maybe it'll have the reverse effect. If I just smoke a doobie, I can join Mensa. Thank you. You've convinced me, Dr. Boniface. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I don't think anybody can afford any f- a few IQ points off the top.
1: All right. Well, let's get more into that after the break here. If you can stay with us sure. and uh, talk about specifically how it might affect IQ and brain development. This is fascinating stuff. Dr. Boniface, Louder with Crowder. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder. When I first met you, didn't realize. Loud. You're listening to Louder with Crowder.
1: We are back talking weed with Dr. Phyllis Boniface. Thank you so much for staying with us. And I apologize for my hackishness. Um, I can't be mature when it comes to these serious subjects. I'm wildly uncomfortable with them. So you were talking about how marijuana effects And by the way, I, I want to be fair here because a lot of people are going to get furious online. I feel like I always have to preface it. I'm not saying that every state should just be able to or the federal government should be able to outright ban substances because they're harmful. OK, that's not my argument here. I don't know if it's Dr. Boniface's. We're just talking about some of the information that people out there might not have on marijuana. Um, so, Dr. Boniface, before you were so rudely interrupted by our sponsors, Tell us a little bit more so about the IQ and brain development and and specifically what can be observed, you know, scientifically, measurably with with marijuana.
3: Well, there are a number of studies. Some of them date back uh, fairly far um, to studies done in New Zealand and in Sweden and in the UK that show a decrease in IQ of up to eight points. Uh, There was recently a study released in uh, 2012 of uh, 1,200 or 1,300 Uh, prospective observational studies on uh, youth who followed users of marijuana versus non-users, and they found a decrease of about six or seven points of IQ. And this was across the board, even with people who did not have any kind of genetic vulnerabilities towards other mental issues so um, there was a higher incidence of IQ decrease the younger the person started using so if someone starts using at 12 or 14 the cognitive deficits are much more profound as someone who starts losing uh, start using later in adolescence so um, again earlier on in the neurodevelopment the more damaging it is
1: have you been paid by big Pharma to come on this show and spew this
3: well, let's just say there's a huge pot lobby. If I really wanted to make money, I could work for them.
1: Well, you know, it's so fu- okay. It's so funny that you said because, of course, I get accused anytime you disagree with someone. Right? It's well, you know, I'm a little bit skeptical of climate change. It's been are big oil. It's like, well, you know what? Ah, oh, big pharma, right? And we just wrote. I just wrote a piece on the Blaze where a lot of people don't realize it. The biggest supplement companies, which is a huge scam, by the way, Uh, many of them are owned by the big pharmaceutical companies. So it's like I'm going to go holistic and buy these vitamins, and it's being sold by the same person who gives you your, uh, your painkillers. Here's my, this is my uneducated, you know, mildly uh, unintelligent brain working. The idea is big pharma has suppressed. Any and all positive research on marijuana. If people go to the previous video, they can click the link right here. If they're listening terrestrially, go to ladderwithcrader.com. They say marijuana is actually – it cures cancer. It's very beneficial, and it's all suppressed by big pharma because they can't patent it because it's a plant. So here's me looking at it saying, okay, what's more likely – all big pharmaceutical companies since the beginning of time have gotten together and said, hey, marijuana is this incredible wonder drug. It'll put us all out of business. Let's make sure to taint all research. When really one of the most popular prescriptions is is uh, my wife takes is retinol. its a, It's a vitamin A. Lotion. So if they can patent vitamin A, it seems to me they could patent some kind of a compound of marijuana, and if it were an incredibly effective drug, they would find a way to patent it and just make money off of it. Is that my stupid pea brain working, or could, could, is that a reasonable premise?
3: Well, that's basic economics, Stephen, and I'm sure you (laughs) understand. If there's a useful molecule in there, they're going to find it. Um, They would love to patent uh, one of the molecules in pot. But the problem is marijuana is not a drug. I mean, people who make this argument can't even give me a definition of what is a drug. You know, a drug is something that's given to a person that produces a measurable effect in a measurable way. And in this day and age, um, drugs are actually they're actually engineered, Uh, they're single molecule, very elaborately constructed, that binds to specific receptors in the body, whether it's a, you know, something for your hypertension, or it's something for your depression, whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's very, very specific. And even with that, binding in a certain area of the brain, a single molecule, it has enormous effects pot is not a drug. It's 400 chemicals. 60 of them have actually been identified to be active pharmacologically in the body, and some of them very psychoactive. Right. And it also is highly variable. You know, there are different compounds in, in THC and CBD, which is, you know, there's one of them that can uh, induce psychosis more. It's, it, it gives the high, and the other one has more of a calming effect. Okay. So, I mean, we're not talking about a drug. We're talking about, you know, instead of a, a targeted shot, at, you know, in the brain, it's actually like buckshot; it hits everything. This the, ca- uh, the cannabinoid system links with every system in the brain.
1: So you're basically talking about you know a, you know laser guided missile versus a dirty bomb.
3: I guess that that would be an analogy.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, it's just it's my, again, it's this is my my <laughs> moderately intelligent uh, analogy who's trying to understand the science of it. And, and, and the thing that really bothers me, and this this has got to frustrate you as a libertarian, right? I have never once seen – and I am more of a libertarian, too. I mean, I think I'm more libertarian on the idea of the drug war than than you are, but I don't work in it. The idea that these people who go out who want to legalize drugs and they completely absolve themselves of the response – they say, well, it's bad for you, but you know what? People should be able to put what they want in their body. I agree. But if you're the one who's pushing for it to be legalized, and in order for it to be legalized, you have to present some logical fallacies, like it's recognized medicine – Um, Or it's relatively harmless. I've never once seen a pro-legalization publication, libertarian publication, also publish a piece saying, hey, here are the harms that come with marijuana. Don't you think it's their personal responsibility to do that if they're going to be telling people to light up?
3: Well, I find it deeply ironic. I I think libertarianism is based on self-reliance and taking responsibility for one's actions. And I don't see anything more irresponsible than leashing something into society that will actually cause damage and impair people's ability to be responsible for themselves. Um, You know, we have a vast social net in this this country. And I, I can tell you from experience, I've seen many people in the last 28 years who are smoking marijuana. Their parents are di- on disability because they have drug abuse. They're both smoking marijuana. Now the children, we have three generations of people on disability living in the same home who are incapable of taking care of themselves. Now that may be the extreme, but sure. you know, y- we have to look at the fact that you know, if people don't function well, society is gonna end up having to take responsibility for them, and that's antithetical to most libertarians.
1: Wow, I see how you tied that back there intellectually. Very well done, Doc. Um, What about the people who just say everything you're saying right now is nothing new? It's just reefer madness, and you're just trying to scare people.
3: Yeah. Well, reefer madness is propaganda. I'm trying to tell people about something (laughs) scientific. You know, (laughs) I I find it interesting that most of my leftist friends, you know, they're big on evolution, you know, and I always present the argument, well, You know, our brains developed evolutionarily very, very specifically to do certain tasks over thousands and thousands of years. And now we're going to, you know, we're going to basically take a monkey wrench to, you know, our our evolutionary advantage in terms of our ability to function as human beings.
1: Well, okay, quick question there, because this is something I saw a lot of on the last video. The pro-pot people, who are, by the way, vastly outnumber the the anti-pots, <laughs> anti-pot doctors like yourself on YouTube, who'd have thought? They say, well, actually, the human body, you know, these can- cannabinoid receptors, cannabinoid, I don't know how to pronounce it, receptors, um, they were designed for things like marijuana, and our bodies were designed to process it, and it's a natural substance that our body expects. Is there any, is there any truth to that, honestly?
3: Well, it's actually opposite of that. I mean, we have these receptors or else the marijuana would have no effect. If we didn't have a receptor, you wouldn't get a high off of it. So, uh, But that system is there for a reason. And I always say don't mess with Mother Nature like that, because that system is, like I said, interlinked with everything, mood regulation, cognitive function, uh, impulsivity. Uh, judgment, all of these things that are higher functions that are required for, you know, our behavior in, in, in the world. And, and we're doing something that will alter all of those systems in an unknown, uncontrolled way. So uh, there's a the danger.
1: Okay. But, what, so, but they would say, well, why do we have those receptors if we weren't designed to well, ingest cannabis? Act-
3: well, the cannabinoid system is interesting. It actually is part of the stress response system of the brain. Okay. So, uh, cannabinoid system when it's elevated can suppress the stress response. However, you can't do that willy-nilly. Um, you know, if you do that, you're going to actually change how the brain processes information and behavior. So, you know, if you were to want to tap into that system, you certainly wouldn't do it in this way. You would right. do it again in a targeted way. Um, the stress response is critical for the, for our behaviors.
1: Right. Well, okay, so that's that's fascinating. So I, I'm trying to get my head around that because we do have that system, right, that processes it. Would it sort of be like saying, okay, you know, you have dopamine receptors. It doesn't mean that you should go out and smoke crack, even though that actively, you know, reacts with dopamine receptors. It's not the right way to use exactly.
3: Them. I call it a hijacking of the system.
1: Okay.
0: You
3: know, you're taking a biological system that's there and has a homeostasis, and you're 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 tapping into it and altering it in what we call a non-physiologic way, which means it is causing that system to, you know, change the complete balance, put out too much of something or too little of something, mm-hmm. and change the regulation. So, okay, that's the problem.
1: So you don't smoke crack, do you, Doc? <laughs>
3: No, I don't. Okay. I, and unfortunately, anyone who smokes crack is usually going back to it at some point. So oh,
4: yeah. that's
3: definitely a cul-de-sac evolutionarily.
1: Well, I'm just saying, because, you know, the the people on YouTube, the qualified medical professionals on YouTube uh, do believe that you smoke crack. That's the only way you could possibly be uh, critical of marijuana. So I, I just wanted to clarify that for our listeners. Thank you. I wasn't sure. Um it's it's funny that we talk about this and then and we'll we'll bring you on after the break cuz I want to get into comparing maybe marijuana versus some other drugs specifically. Uh, you know or actually I guess we can get into that now and then we'll come back to sort of the social ramifications. So people would say you're a psychiatrist, right? And psychiatrists prescribe some what they would argue are much more harmful drugs, certainly drugs that can result in death more easily like Adderall or certain antidepressants, what would you say to those to those people who say, hey, these are these toxic substances that psychiatrists push and marijuana would be more benign?
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, the goal of psychiatric drugs is not to get a high. Um, it's actually – Wrong. I mean, people don't want people to get a high. You know, that's where you see the area of pain management is so difficult because right. the therapy is actually related to feeling a high, and that's quite problematic. But in psychiatry, I mean, all drugs are subjected to uh, double-blind, placebo-controlled studies, which means they have to be studied. You know, the drug versus no drug. They have to be able to define a benefit, and they also have to define. Uh, reduction or lack of harm mm-hmm. it's very difficult to do that there are a lot of bars you know you have to you have to jump over before the fda will pr- approve any drug and now it takes about a billion dollars of research and development to develop a new drug to bring to market so it, it's not an easy feat and it requires sometimes you know dozens of years of, of development to find something that's effective and safe so um you know it's it's a very advanced science and it You know, in my practice, I do prescribe drugs, but I always start with, uh, you know, do what's in the best interest of the patient, which means do no harm. We try to get people to manage stress in their life, you know, get rid of drugs and alcohol, exercise, take care of themselves. I mean, that's always the starting point. We don't always prescribe
1: drugs. Right. It sounds far too reasonable for the land of the Internet right now, but we'll bring you back after the break and uh, talk a little bit more about pot. Dr. Boniface,
0: Ladder with Crowder. Stay tuned. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder. will be coming soon. Oh Oh hell yes!
1: Hey, this is Steven Crowder with Louder with Crowder to tell you about one of my favorite sites on the web, AR15.com. I know you hear AR15 say, isn't that the scary Black Rifle? It is, but AR15.com is actually the best website if you want a community from which to learn about how to care for your gun, gun safety, where to find concealed permits, courses, as well as the best online gun store in the business. I'm talking ammo, accessories, upgrades, all of it can be found at AR15.com. That's AR15.com. Back with uh, Paid Off by Big Oil. Uh, Of course, Dr. Boniface uh, specializes in neuropsychiatry, talking about pot, your brain on pot, and um, fascinating stuff. So, Dr. Boniface, before we left we were talking about you know drugs and in psychiatry and, and, and how psychiatrists or at least listen, let's be honest, a lot of psychri- psychiatrists do push drugs as a first line and, and it's it's not right and it's it's a rare case. It's an exception to the rule. But let's also talk about while we're discussing exceptions to the rule, you know this idea right now that marijuana is non addictive and it's certainly less addictive than something like alcohol, which is legal. How do you argue against that?
3: Well, I mean, as far as non-addictivity, I mean, studies have shown one in 10 people who smoke pot become addicted to it. And if you started earlier in life, meaning in your teens, it's about one in six. You know, 30 percent of people who use pot go on to use other drugs. And that's not a small number. You know, uh, 50 percent of all addictions to rehab. And I do work in the drug addiction area, too. um, People started with pot use. And interestingly, 90% of those people started it in their teen years. So, again, earlier exposure increases the risk of addiction vastly. So
1: 30%? You said 30% of pot users go on to use another drug?
3: That's correct.
1: Now, what about people who would argue that has nothing to do with the drug? It has to do with the type of personality who might gravitate toward pot, generally the personality who's arguing that point in the first place.
3: Yeah. Well, we know there are genetic uh, predispositions to addiction. We think it has something to do with the dopamine system and the genetics that are inherited from your parents. Mm -hmm. So many people have a genetic vulnerability. But, um, for example, there's also a genetic uh, vulnerability to mental illness with use of marijuana. And, um, again, we've been working out the genetics of that. But the issue is that a large swath of the population 25 or 30% are highly vulnerable, and they actually know this. there's a specific gene, the, the COMT gene, it's called. It has to do with dopamine regulation in the brain. 25 to 30% of the population has the variation that makes them intensely vulnerable to addiction or mental illness. Now, is that a risk we're willing to run as a population in terms of public health?
1: Well, let me ask you this, because you say, so 30% and then your numbers were about 25 to 30% of people have a vulnerability toward addiction. Do, you, do we have any numbers as far as uh, what the percentages of people who drink alcohol, who either become addicted or go on to harder drugs?
3: Yeah, it's less than that. And also, I oh. wanted to define the difference between alcohol. This always comes up.
1: You, uh, you are at the ready with these answers. <laughs> I'm playing, you know, I'm, well, I'm my, trying to stump you here.
3: You know, it, it's because these are questions people ask me in my office every day. Okay. You know, a lot of people are struggling with, you know, substance abuse. Um, alcohol is actually metabolized by the body. You know, your liver has enzymes that break down alcohol. It's been developed, you know, through, again, thousands of years of evolution. You know, this enzyme varies in different genetic groups. You know, Europeans break down alcohol much more quickly than Asians and American Indians. They don't have as much of the enzyme and the alcohol levels are, are higher in these people. So um, there's a vast... Difference, but we do metabolize alcohol. It's a, it's metabolized and excreted about an ounce an hour of of alcohol in general in a European population. Marijuana is not excreted in that way. It's not excreted. Period. It's not metabolized. It has to be taken out of the body like a toxin, because it's it's uh, lipid soluble. It gets into the central nervous system and it sticks there. You know, it takes five to seven days to eliminate the marijuana that's in a single cigarette. And so, you smoke once a week, basically, uh, THC is in your brain exerting a pharmacologic effect all week, even though you're not high. And wow. this is the problem it's what we call a depot drug. <clears throat> so, um, if you smoke every day, it takes 90 days to eliminate all the metabolites of, of THC. And that is a, an amazing amount of time. It's a very, very long half life
1: drug. Right. So you mentioned, I'm trying to go back to some of these numbers about people who have a proclivity toward addiction. Well, one thing that interested me was, remember the big bath salt scare? Remember yes. that? People were eating everyone's faces off and stuff. It was after the chimpanzee on red wine and Xanax scare, which was the funniest of the scares. But um, so the bath salt scare, I remember when I actually read up on it, you didn't hear about this in the news a lot. The only drug they tested positive for was marijuana. Yeah,
3: And actually, the, you know, a lot of the... Mass crime spree people were heavy marijuana users in their youth and did test positive. Right
1: now, and again, now, correlation doesn't equal causation. People, that's the buzz phrase people throw around online, and sometimes it's correct, sometimes it's not. So, you know, not everyone who smokes marijuana obviously is going to be a, a, a go on a crime spree. But is there any kind of data there that would that would suggest some kind of a correlation, maybe with someone who? I mean, wh- wh- how could marijuana trigger someone to bite someone's face off? Let's put it that way.
3: Okay. Well, I don't know the details of that case, but let's just put it in the context of what we know about the effect of cannabis on psychosis, for example. Sure. We could argue that all of these people who commit these horrible crimes, they're psychotic. I mean, right. they're not touched with reality. You know, there are many studies that have taken place over the last 30 years that show an increased incidence of psychotic illnesses in people who start using marijuana early in life. You know, it's, it increases the incidence of uh, psychosis by about two to three times uh, over a lifetime. Really? It also it reduces the amount of time to the first psychotic episode in someone who has schizophrenia, and that's not a small thing. You know, schizophrenia usually presents between the ages of 17 and 25 when the brain's fully matured. And interesting, I, thought, I thought it
1: usually presented itself in a raincoat in an alleyway, but continue.
3: <laughs> anyway, um, when you reduce the age of onset, meaning instead of at age 20, someone will start showing Um, symptoms at age 17 instead. So again, these are people who have the genetic predisposition. They follow them, you know, uh, through their lifetime, and they find the age of onset is much, much younger. And the first episodes of psychosis, people are extremely vulnerable to doing violent things. The incidence of suicide and homicide and things like that is much, much higher in those initial episodes of psychosis. So here we are, you know, introducing a drug that may Change the age of psychosis, reduce the age, and, and increase the vulnerability to that. So um, that's not no. something to take lightly.
1: No, it's not something to take lightly. But I do think there are a lot of people out there, you know, and I will say, listen, I'm just honest. This is the only issue I would say. You know, I'm pro life, I'm pro limited government, I'm not a big tax guy. People know that. This is the one issue where I go back and forth. Um, I think it really does come down to states' rights. But I do think you'll have a large contingency of people who say, All of those things are true, but they also acknowledge heroin's bad, and it should be legal anyway. And a big example they point to, of course, you know, is Portugal, because they want to end the drug war. And I agree, the drug war's been relatively inefficient. But they say, you know, look at Portugal, they saved all this money in the drug war. But what I think a lot of people and a lot of libertarians, which you are, again, by the way, um, don't point to is that Portugal has an immense public rehabilitation program. That's I mean, it's entirely socialized, um, which would indicate that they've had increased usage and addiction problems. So when people make the argument economically, right, that everything you've just said is true, but it's still not the government's role to go in and tell someone that they can't do that to their body. Where do you line up on that as a libertarian, but also a doctor?
3: And again, I think it comes back to personal responsibility. Um, Are you going to expose people? And again, You know, libertarians assume that people can make rational decisions. They they rely on reason to guide their behavior. And yet they're going to introduce something into society that we know will be used by young people. You know, by example, even if we say they shouldn't be used by people under the age of 21, it will be if their parents are using it. People learn by example that it will actually damage the brains of the generations coming up. Now, what kind of free society can we have? You know, let me just be devil's advocate here. We're going to reduce the IQ seven to eight points of, of, you know, maybe 30 percent of the population. And we're going to be able to have a functional republic.
1: Do you really think it would reduce the general IQ of the public or only those with a proclivity toward problems with marijuana?
3: Well, actually, the cognitive deficits are not just in the people who have uh, a predisposition. They've actually looked at this. They've they've taken out people who have any kind of... uh, 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 genetic predisposition to mental illness or addiction. They've eliminated them from the studies. And even those people who should not have the vulnerability are having persistent cognitive deficits. These young people who start before the age of 18, even after they're not smoking for four to six months, these deficits don't go away. Now, they haven't followed them beyond that period, but these deficits are evident on neuropsych testing, which is really detailed mental tests of tasks like memory and processing. Not to be
1: confused with Thetan testing, which if you're interested in Scientology, uh, listeners and viewers, I will send you the kit. Continue, Dr. Boniface.
3: (laughs) So in neuropsych testing, and also it's visible on functional MRI. So we can actually see a picture of the parts of the brain that are involved in the cognitive function that are compromised, they've shrunken in size, their volume is reduced, the pathways between parts of the brain are reduced. And this
1: applies to anyone in the general population?
3: Anyone, not just the vulnerable to mental illness. That's correct.
1: Now why... Okay, let me ask you this, Doc. Why is there such a, a pushback on this? Why do so few people believe what you're saying? I mean, if you could actually send me these studies, uh, we'll get them up at ladderworthcrader.com, so I'll hyperlink okay. them. But why is it that so many people are pushing back and saying that that's just untrue, that there is no evidence, um, I guess that there is no, no data right now, that you, you could draw those conclusions, that, yeah. that that happens, that it's all propaganda? Why is there such a pushback, and why do most people believe that right now?
3: Well, I don't know about most people. You wouldn't find that in the mental health community. I I don't know any mental health people that really believe that marijuana should be available to people. Um, You know, in the general population, I don't know. Some libertarians are more like libertine, in my opinion. They think anybody should be able to do anything they want any time. I mean, you know, come on. I mean, we have to have some kind of definitions in society. So. the other issue here that i find very interesting and i've seen this in my patients over the few decades i've been in practice marijuana damages the prefrontal cortex that's the self observing part of the brain that's where we have insight and judgment and we can see ourselves and how we function in our behavior oh, okay and people who can't see themselves aren't aware of their deficits, if you know what I'm saying. I mean, it sounds kind of circular. You know, I work a lot with brain-injured patients as well, auto accidents. And when you survey the families, 95% of the families who define that that person has serious problems with their memory and their functioning and they can't cope, 0% of the patients saw it. So the inside part of the brain is compromised. They can't see it in themselves, which is horribly frightening.
1: That is probably the most fascinating thing I've ever heard on this show. Basically, you're talking about, gosh, so it, so it removes the self-awareness that would allow one to critically observe changes in themselves from marijuana.
3: Precisely. You know, I have some friends who are neurobiologists. And, you know, they call the prefrontal cortex the seat of the soul. It's what makes you you. If you've ever seen someone with a brain injury with damage to that part of the brain, and there are some famous studies, you know, neurology studies that prove this. You change your funnel of you change who you are. So we're actually seeing damage in that part of the brain. Again, it's evident on neuropsych testing. It's evident on fMRI, which is functional MRI. It's evident on, um, you know, brain sections, actually mortem. So you know i don't know what more evidence we we can use to show that thc is neurotoxic and it's neurotoxic in doses that are comparable to using once a week
1: right uh, it, you change the frontal lobe, you change you. are. you change my earlobes, you change them. I, mean, I can get AM radio on these things. I've got giant ears. But not to be, again, immature, but I have to be because I'm terribly uncomfortable with serious subjects. That really is fascinating to me, and I didn't really know that about the frontal lobe. And I will tell you this. I will have to go and do my own research because I know that I don't know a lot about the frontal lobe. And what you're saying sounds reasonable. <laughs> But I'm sure someone who was a pro pot person could tell me something that sounded reasonable with the frontal lobe because I wouldn't be able to call them on it. Uh, so again, we'll, we'll get this, these links up at louderwithcrowder.com and you can make your own informed decision. Now, final sort of thought. Here's the thing you have to understand. This is broadcast on AM radio, right? This show, people are hearing it in Michigan and Alaska and a few, few other stations who are picking it up. But it's really, it's big audiences online. That's where we get this is online. If you look at the top podcasts right now, Let's just say out of the top 20 comedy or news and politics podcasts, people on there are all saying marijuana is benign. It's prop you you know, it's, it's fine. You can smoke it and you'll be fine. So those same people will say, well, listen, I'm not telling kids to light up. I think cars are great. I don't think a 14 year old should drive. So they create this this atmosphere where there's a lack of responsibility, right, where they say, I'm saying that an adult should be able to do what they want with their own body. I'm not saying kids should use it. But the ramifications with society r- reflect that that is the case. I mean, Ann Arbor is a great example, right? That's where you are. Um, I don't know if you've studied this, but I have. Did you, have you studied the numbers as far as once it was decriminalized in Ann Arbor, how usage increased among young people?
3: Well, I know it went up tremendously. I don't know the numbers. Okay. Do you?
1: I, I, well, we actually included them in our last video, and I can get them up at Light Latter- of the Crowd. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but one thing, again, anecdotally, we actually interviewed someone who we didn't include on camera, but who, was a dru- who basically sold pot, right? And he said, uh, yeah, and then once it was decriminalized, I said, well, you'd be out of a job because the the drug war right well, if we legalized all drugs all drug cartels would straighten up and fly right and there would be no more drug cartels they'd be working at Denny's that's the idea and he said no i just changed my business model right it's more profitable for me to buy from the medical dispensaries and i sell so, it to the high school by the way a high school that is right around the corner from you
3: oh i know that i had patients who were fell out of rehab who were out selling and they were making a thousand bucks a week you know it was their it was their career I noticed when it became uh, medically available in Michigan, there was a whole generation of kids who were starting high school right at that year who were had, you know, increased impairments and a degree of mental illness that you wouldn't expect, you know, given their family history, et cetera. And a lot of these kids just fell off the grid. I mean, they dropped out of high school. And, you know, I don't know what the stats are from the high school, but I'm sure in the educational establishment, they may track this, you know, to see dropout rates and, you know, maybe uh, not going on to college, that sort of thing. Um, So the data will come. Unfortunately, you know, it's going to be too late for a lot of people. It might be your kids. It might be your siblings, you know. And, you know, I mean, if you look back even at at tobacco, you know, we look back now about how big tobacco pushed it and, you know, it was not, you know, all of the dangers were hidden because there was so much money behind it. And now we look back and think how evil that force was. Well, look what they unleashed into society, this horribly addictive substance. Mm. And it was, you know, a lot of things were not being brought to the foreground that were they are probably well-known at the time.
1: Great comparison. People don't ever think of the big marijuana lobby when it is absolutely humongous. A lot of people don't understand that. There are a lot of people with financial uh, interests, just like big tobacco or just like big alcohol, who uh, who, who want to see it legalized. And, and to do that, they have to, in a soft way, present it as benign and harmless. But we must go. Dr. Boniface, thank you so much for coming on. We will get these links up at ladderwithcrowder.com so people can make informed decisions. And please come back. Maybe next time we can talk about the possible dangers of heroin we'll speculate okay
3: take care steven
1: thank you doc
0: you're listening to louder with crowder louder with crowder wow how fascinating was that
1: Dr Boniface that was awesome think about that the fact the thing that was amazing to me is that marijuana affects the frontal lobe which is directly your it's basically your center of self awareness so everyone who's going i smoke i smoke every day i'm totally fine they really believe it because of their frontal lo- their fronter their frontal lobe is all messed up
2: yeah they feel more self aware but aren't actually
1: well, it's like a lot of people, they think, like, pot actually makes me smarter. No, you only think you're smarter.
2: <laughs> it's like people who think, oh, alcohol makes me more charming. No, it just makes you talk more, and people think you're an idiot.
1: Yeah, nobody likes you.
2: <laughs> I, I, even when I'm completely sober, I know nobody likes me, so it oh. works out just fine. Everyone
1: loves the fun dip. You know, you got to be more positive. You'll live longer and won't get as many back spasms.
2: But see, the beautiful thing about being a pessimist and a negative, cranky old man is that when good things happen, they're a pleasant surprise. If you think good things are happen, or, or plan on them, expect them, and then sometimes they don't happen, then you're always disappointed. So I always think the worst is going to happen. And then something decent happens, and I'm like, oh, sweet.
1: Yeah, but there's also the fact that because you think in a negative way, you're more likely to cause bad things to happen for yourself as opposed to positive
2: things. Hmm. Fascinating, Captain.
1: It's true. It's true. You gravitate toward your mindset. I mean, think about it. If you approach something with a negative mindset, you probably won't put in your all to accomplish it because you think it's not going to work anyway.
2: Hmm. I can see that sort of, yeah.
1: I will tell you this. Some of my greatest accomplishments came and nothing special obviously we are talking about me here but came when i was completely naive and just did it
2: oh yeah well that's how it was with me too when i first got into radio i was like i can conquer the universe yeah and then i started working in roger city making 10 grand a year and living upstairs from the production studio
1: well, i'll say that to jared because Jer- jared doesn't think uh, i pay him a lot but he's banking more than 10 grand a year so we're pretty happy about that Anyway, we'll be right back with uh, Ladder with Crowder. We'll be talking more scandals of the week. Everyone does love to dance to a happy song. If you don't dance to happy songs, you're
2: disgusting. We don't want you. We don't want you! I don't love you! You can dance if you want to. You can leave your friends behind, but if your friends don't dance, they're no friend of mine. (laughs)
1: You, I love how fun it points with the Harrison Ford finger. You're no friend of mine. You're no friend
2: of mine. Speaking, did you say Harrison Ford? Yeah. Oh, well wishes out to him. I hope he's doing okay after that crash. Apparently he's fine. That scared the heck out of me when Kathy shouted from the other room last night, Harrison Ford was in a plane crash. I'm like, I, I don't want to deal with that right now. I, That's right. I'm after emotionally Leonard exhausted after, after Leonard Nimoy.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, Nimoy and, and Han Solo in one week. You oh, my gosh. I'd be worried about you. And you're Fri-
2: Friday, when, when they announced that Leonard Nimoy had passed away, I was so distracted that as I was assembling my newscast, I accidentally forget, forgot to hit mute and had my voice show up twice. So I'm talking next to myself on the air. I'm like, I hit the wrong button because I was so distracted.
1: By Harrison Ford.
2: No, maybe? the Nimoy death.
1: Oh, okay. I was trying to. I, I was trying to follow. It was very difficult when you start going off into the,
2: the the nerd territory. Nerd tangents. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Um. Okay. So, by the way, you saw this week's episode of The Goldbergs, right? Oh,
2: outstanding yet again. I Great lo- show. I love that show.
1: I. I mean, if we can only get you know few hundred people, even extra people to watch the Goldbergs, because I know out of the you know, thousands listening and hearing this in Michigan, Alaska online, they're not all going to go out and watch the Goldbergs. It is such a great show. It leaves you feeling better for having watched it. Yeah. If, which you, is, if you don't watch it, you're a moron. Pretty much. Pretty much. You're a moron. know what, it's just it's really a good comedy show. The way I sort of describe it, it's sort of like the Wonder Years meets Ma- uh, Malcolm in the Middle. It's you know it's it's a uh, a single camera sitcom, but you don't feel screwed like you do at the end of all the Wonder Years.
2: Oh yeah, because those always ended on such a down note, like Empire. Yeah,
1: Kevin Arnold would you know oh he doesn't get the girl, the bully rubs dirt in his face, and he fails the test. Like that was how every episode of the Wonder Years ended. To the point where I just said I can't, I'm not watching this anymore.
2: Yeah, it was I, really sad and depressing.
1: Right. Whereas the Goldbergs is. There are challenges in nearly every episode. Listen, it's pretty predictable. There's a formula, but by the end of the episode, they solve the problems, and they realize that their problems can be solved through family. It's always a pro-family message. And by the way, it's one of the few sitcoms out there where it's actually a, a, a really a functional family. You know, there was a trend of Roseanne or, like, Malcolm in the Middle, The Simpsons, these dysfunctional families. That's not really the case with the Goldbergs.
2: They give the appearance of dysfunction, like when their neighbors see them hollering at each other or calling their kids morons and stuff but they do it with such love and conviction i totally see them as a real family i can't wrap my head around these people being actors and actresses they're so real
1: yeah and by the way for those of you who don't know it's comes it comes from happy madison uh productions which is owned and run by adam sandler and very uh,
2: first happy madison thing i've ever actually liked Right. Well, they're all, they're all conservatives, though, So, and you can
1: kind of see that in the show. Set during a Reagan era, any other show, right, if it were set during the Reagan era, they'd be taking pot shots. And uh, the one time they actually did reference Reagan, they sort of complimented him uh, on, on the show, where they said, you know, he's got his fun side, he likes his jelly beans, but I don't think he's going to get you out of gym class.
2: Yeah, it was great. It was great. And what's interesting, though, is, is every episode will make you laugh – a good portion of the of the half hour episode, sure. But there's always a moment where I get teary eyed as well because it's so touching. Yeah, uh, not uh, not this week's, but last week's. I was wondering when I was going to get the teary eyed thing because I'm always like, what are they going to do in it? Last week's was the Ferris Bueller one. Oh yeah, and it hit me when Adam is doing the voiceover and he said he realized he didn't want to be. In a John Hughes type movie, he wanted to be John, John Hughes or Hughes. be like John Hughes. And I was like, oh man, because that kid, you know, it's based on real people. He grew up and he's doing that. He is actually producing and making things that people enjoy. Right. It's very inspirational. I, I, I loved mean, that moment. If you watch the, go- we'll get on here to the news, but
1: if you, it's important to support cultural entities that crystallize our values. And at the very least, the Goldbergs, while it's not a political show, it does, it shows people that the American dream is alive and well, that family is important, uh, and that the family is the central building block to the American way of life. That comes through loudly and clearly. So Goldbergs, Wednesday night at 8.30. We highly recommend
2: it. Switching gears here, the LAPD shooting. You followed this this week? That was pretty scary. I heard a little bit about it. I was working on a lot of the local news. So fill me in.
1: Well, people can go to louderwithcrowder.com again for the podcast if you miss any, but we have a video up on this. So you can actually watch the video of this, the LAPD shooting. So the the narrative was set, right? If you're listening to anything that's not conservative media, it was LAPD officer shoots unarmed homeless black man, right? Yeah, I did hear some of that stuff on. uh, That's what everyone heard. Okay. Here's the truth just so you know so that's what was sold right the media was already talking about racism and systemic racism in the police force well here's some facts you may want to know about the lapd shooting okay they're responding to an assault or robbery call in skid row by the way 186 violent crimes committed the first six months of 2014 in skid row it's one of the most violent areas in all the country half of all women in Skid Row have been sexually assaulted. It's one of the worst areas. You've heard the term Skid Row. It's a term for a reason. It's it's basically become, when people want to say something is a really dangerous area, it's like, oh, it's Skid Row. So, officers are responding to a violent call in Skid Row. This homeless gentleman, the unarmed homeless black man, was actually an illegal alien wanted by the U.S. Marshals for committing a bank robbery. Oh, man. But, and I'm pretty sure armed robbery. So this is the guy's history he hits the cops assaults them they tase him so yes there are several cops they tase him doesn't matter he gets back up and swings as hard as he can on the cops Uh, again while the cops are trying to subdue him and wrestle him down yeah there are a lot of cops but this man is resisting arrest and he's pretty successful he's hitting a lot of the cops Um, one of the cops nightsticks comes out as it falls a little girl in Skid Row, a little uh, black American girl, grabs the nightstick and tries to hit one of the cops in the back of the head. They subdue her, tackle her, which, of course, is mean and racist. And then this homeless uh, gentleman, the innocent homeless victim who's been tased, now hit a cop, reaches and tries to grab a cop's gun. By the way, tried to gra- grab the gun of a black police officer. So who's the racist, the black cop or the black perp? At which point you hear in the video, he's got my gun, he's got my gun, and they do shoot him and he dies. So, is it sad that someone died?
2: Yes. No. No. Okay. <laughs> not this. Not this guy. Okay.
1: I. It's. I'm gonna be
2: honest. No. Well, well, how do you,
1: how do you hit a cop and reach for his gun and expect to live? I don't think I would expect to live. And, 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 you know, I can't imagine swinging on a cop. I can't imagine reaching for a cop's firearm. I can't imagine using any other term than sir for a police officer.
2: And, by the way, at least way. to their face. I mean, I might go, that jerk gave me a traffic ticket because afterwards you're always frustrated. But in that instance, you right. say, sir, you say thank you for everything. Okay. Calm. Remain calm.
1: Then on the drive home, you put on the White Album, and have you seen the little, little piggies in playing in the dirt.
2: Yes, yeah. no, certainly.
1: Okay. But, um, by the way, why does unarmed, why is that the only focus right now, unarmed? Does anyone have any idea how easy it is to kill, blind, or maim someone unarmed? And when they say unarmed, what they really mean is, and you see in the video, you're like, he ain't have no gun, he ain't have no gun. More people are killed with hammers and clubs than, uh, than say rifles, not necessarily handguns, but rifles. That ties uh, they, in
2: with another Beatles song, "Maxwell's Silver Hammer." This is true. Came down upon their
1: head. Uh, I was had a point. I was going to make the point here. Then, then you just keep... my just, darn tangent. Shut up, please. <laughs> shut, shut up, up with shut the Beatles song. Shut your mouth. Um, now I just forgot what I was going to say. Fun Squirrel. Difficult. There were hammers, clubs. Oh, five, every five minutes, someone dies from a blunt uh, head injury. So. Someone takes your nightstick and is trying to hit you. So they're in Skid Row, one of the most dangerous areas in America, surrounded by people who want them dead. One of them picks up his nightstick and is about to hit the officer, and this guy reaches for a cop's gun. If a cop is not allowed to shoot in self-defense in that instance, I can't
2: imagine one where it would be appropriate. That seems like the epitome of a situation where you have to do something to end it. And, and that's what the police officer did. He did what he could to end the situation, to right. stop it.
1: So what does the media do? They picked the narrative unarmed. That's highlighted. Unarmed, black man, dead. Now, they don't include unarmed black man assaults and reaches for gun of black officer. Do you see how that changes that story entirely? And by the way, you could still fit that in the headline.
0: They oh, choose yeah. not
1: unarmed black man shot by LAPD. Well, 17% of the LAPD are black. And if you go go to lotterwithcryder.com and watch this video, I will tell you something. I feel so bad for this officer. He's a black officer. Apparently, I'm, I don't have all the research in, he was on a probationary period. Like, he he wasn't a full-time officer yet. So this is him doing, you know, I guess kind of the ride-along equivalent. And you can just see everyone's yelling at him, yeah, yeah, you you a sellout, you a sellout. And you can just see this this cop, who's a black guy, you can just see in his face, it's he just knows this is not going to be a good situation. And I'm sure he's conflicted. Listen, he didn't become a cop because he hates black Americans. He became a cop probably because he grew up in a community like this and he wanted to serve them. He wanted to help better his community. And instead, these people who are assaulting him crap all over him and tell him he's a sellout. I honestly, my, my heart goes out for this to to this guy you i feel genuinely bad for the black cop involved in this because he's going to have to put his family under security watch you know i mean you know black cops in detroit they have a target on their back
2: oh yeah their whole life changes with a situation like that even just being on the force their whole life is is altered permanently yeah Uh, i had a friend who was an ex-police officer an ex-detroit police officer he was a he did a polka show up north with me, and uh, he always had to carry a sidearm as an ex-police officer because you never know when someone you may have put away years ago is is back out from behind bars and has it out for you. You've right. got to protect yourself, and that's what you do.
1: Well, that's the thing, you know. If you're a, if you're a black American who's a cop and you're still living in a black community. I mean, any gangbanger that you've put away could be a De Niro Cape Fear situation, where they're sitting on your fence, you know, playing the legal game. So, yeah, I, I feel really bad for this guy, and obviously, it's it's it is media malpractice. At what point do we call it media malpractice? Here's the thing: everyone talks about Brian Williams clearly lying, and it's funny because he has the melting candle-looking face. He's a little bit uh, he's a little bit asymmetrical, and he's a funny character, Brian Williams, so he's easy to make fun of. But for every Brian Williams, there's fifty or hundred stories like this where they selectively create a headline that sets a narrative that is completely false. By the way, have you noticed it's gone pretty silent on the LAPD shooting these last couple of days uh, because it's pretty clear what's happening. And so they decided instead to focus on the, uh, which we'll talk about next after this break, Eric Holder, Ferguson, the DOJ report. And... Um, course you have eric holder saying that there was explicit racial bias in ferguson police why is eric holder investigating anything anything other than eric holder seems to me that eric holder should have one job one job and that's fixing eric holder am i taking crazy pills i don't know you can tell me tweet me at s crowder we'll be back after this break If you're anything like me, you enjoy a good glass of wine, but finding the right kind can be a hassle, or maybe you want to buy a nice bottle as a gift but don't know where to start. That's where simplified wine comes in. Simplified wine makes buying good wine Simple, just call 844-297-WINE, where a qualified sommelier will take your information budget, send you a curated list, and then wine straight to your door. It's just that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to get great wine, but the least expensive. All you do is call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE. That's 844-297-WINE. Or don't like phone calls, you can just go to simplifiedwine.com and hit the Simplify button. Same thing, just digital. Any wine you want, they can get. Just call Simplified Wine at 844-297-WINE to have the best wine at the best price, delivered straight to your door,
2: guaranteed. What could possibly be simpler? Call Simplified Wine today, 844-297-WINE.
0: You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder. So thrilled
1: to have you back. Good day to you. And um,
2: that's the, talk- the most mellow thrilled I've ever heard. I know. So thrilled. I'm so thrilled to be here. Oh man! Mm-hmm. Let me look at my watch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds like the dog growling.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hopper. For those who don't know, is my ninety-pound doggo Argentino, and he's just—he's not a big barker. The only time he barks is when someone is at the door, but he's always vocal about something else. Just or he purrs if you pet him and he likes it. He purrs if you tell him to do something. Like just the other day, just yesterday, I was like, Hopper, hey, Hopper, go lay down. He looks me in the eye and goes, and does it. <laughs> Literally, just begrudgingly, he almost bit the vet this week. Oh man. He didn't actually – he'd never bite anyone. What happened was, you know, he has a bad knee. He has he had cruciate surgery. So he's got – he's pretty sensitive about it. And so um, the vet was, you know, grabbing his leg, like his bad knee, and pulling it and yanking on it. And Hopper was like – like growling, letting him know he didn't like it. And then the vet just, like, grabbed his legs and turned him over on his back. And all Hopper did was like – and he he pushed him away with his head. Like actually, like with his big square head, just pushed him away. Yeah if he wanted a bite he would have but it it obviously scared the vet and i'm going like he was already growling for eight seconds while you were grabbing his bad leg i mean what do you expect like yeah. he
2: probably should have bitten you you're lucky he didn't i kicked a nurse when i was little because she gave me a shot
1: yeah but that's just because you were a little hell hellraiser i was very
2: cute no you weren't <laughs> i know i've sent you the picture that was an ugly little bugger
1: actually no you weren't i was a cute kid and then i Grew up and then I just everyone's cute when they're little. Well, that's not true, actually.
2: No, th- there's always a saying: uh, "Ugly in the cradle, pretty at the table," or "Pretty in the cradle, ugly at the table." So, I I must have been a cute kid because I'm a hideous hideously ugly adult.
1: Well, my my wife, I will say, she went. I love her and she's beautiful. She went through a rough patch uh, growing up where she was playing softball. She had office p- place glasses and uh, um uh. A Beatles mushroom cut. Oh man! So and braces. So you're just looking at it. You're like, it's what? It's like if you look at her pictures, it's it's like a sitcom where they show an old embarrassing picture of
2: a oh yeah teenager. Only it's real. Like where they mock up Erica Goldberg for her younger days when she was a dweeb.
1: Exactly. While we're talking about dweebs, Eric Holder. So <laughs> DOJ. <laughs> I don't know. Did you see that he investigated, you know, Ferguson? He went oh, and, yeah. Uh, apparently he was very thorough. Now, even though Darren Wilson was completely cleared, um, I just wonder why, why, why Holder didn't make this thorough of an investigation into how the, how the guns got in the hands of drug cartels with
2: Fast and Furious. Yeah, no kidding.
1: I mean, why didn't he probe that a little more thoroughly? They were like, no, we don't really know you guys. We're just like, we're not quite sure yet.
2: And now they're going it, in. And it almost sounded like Shaggy. I don't even know. It was. Loinks! Loinks! Hey, Scoob, we don't know why they sent these guns to Mexico.
1: So it says uh, here's the report. This investigation found a community that was deeply polarized, a community where deep distrust and hostility often characterized interactions between police and area residents, Holder said. He described Ferguson as a community where local authorities consistently approach law enforcement not as a means for protecting public safety, but as a way to generate revenue. That's pretty much all cops. They have, you know, they have a quota for speeding tickets that they have to give out.
2: Yeah, I get that impression.
1: Well, listen, put it this way: you have a you have a quota of a certain amount of. I think it's civilian interactions is the terminology. I'm not quite sure. I have a friend who's a cop who told me this. And he said, it's a lot easier to give out speeding tickets than it is to go after actual crime. Because one time they said, you only had three civilian interactions on your night shift. And we need you to bump that up or, you know, we're going to have some problems. He said, well, did you see what those civilian interactions were? Because everything, whether it's a speeding ticket or whether it's responding to a house call, is considered, you know, one of those interactions. They said, no. He said, okay, well, one of them was a woman who was raped. The second one was a witness. And the third one was the rapist who I found and brought in. So he says, so you'd rather me have given out 15 speeding tickets? You would have been happier with that, with people going five over? And they said yes. Oh, man. So listen, people, when I when I defend officers in a case like the LAPD shooting or Mike Brown, okay, and defending their lives, it doesn't mean I defend all
2: officer behavior. Oh, I get yeah. More. Some of them are just out for you.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're, if your goal is actual public safety, you shouldn't be hiding trying to catch people, if you if you just aren't hiding, people will go the speed limit. I'm not saying people shouldn't go the speed limit anyway, but if you know that you have the power to make the road safer by simply creating a presence, why not do that if your first job is to protect and serve and provide safety? Why hide so that people speed, which could be harmful, and then you catch them? Not, not absolving people of speeding from their responsibility. Oh, why don't you just do everything you can to try and make uh, make people create a safer community? Sometimes they're looking to create revenue. That doesn't mean that they're racist. Everything that he's saying here applies to any police force, only it happens to be in a predominantly black area in Ferguson, Missouri. So then Eric Holder, fast and furious guy who got guns in the hands of drug cartels, is trying to say this is racism. Why? Because Darren Wilson was cleared. So they've got to do something. When they ran so far with this ball that it was racism in Ferguson and all the protests and then the guys cleared of any wrongdoing, your consolation prize is, yeah, but the cops are still kind of racist. We'll talk about it more louder with Crowder. Hey, this is Steven Crowder with Louder with Crowder to tell you about one of my favorite sites on the web, AR15.com. I know you hear AR15 say, isn't that the scary black rifle? It is, but AR15.com is actually the best website if you want a community from which to learn about how to care for your gun, gun safety, where to find concealed permits, courses, as well as the best online gun store in the business. I'm talking ammo, accessories, upgrades, all of it can be found at AR15.com. That's AR15.com. So glad to have you with us for this final hour. I am your host, Stephen Crowder. Some people might be wondering up in Anchorage, Alaska, where's Joe Miller? We're actually running in here in uh, the wonderful Joe Miller spot at K-O-A-N Anchorage once a week. Glad to be up there in Alaska. Maybe we'll visit you sometime when it's not really cold.
2: What are you eating, Fun Dip? Um, My traditional Friday morning feast.
1: Hebrew National hot dogs. Oh, yeah.
2: Yep. Yeah. I was going to bring in Dearborn brand today, but I was like, I can't break with tradition. i got to have Dear... my Hebrew National.
1: Dearborn brand hot dogs. Is that is that all beef then? There's no... Oh, yeah.
2: They're, those are all beef uh, Polish hot dogs. They also make the best uh, uh, kielbasa. I love their kielbasa. It's my favorite. But Hebrew National for Friday mornings for me.
1: Well, I was going to say, because it's Dearborn, I thought for sure, you know, there couldn't be any pork involved.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> They've been around since that was a Polish community. That's how long they've been there.
1: Islam, not a big fan of pork. Uh, Fan of blowing stuff up, though. So, you know, you kind of win some, lose some. So Milwaukee Sheriff David Clark, I don't know if you saw this, said that he wasn't buying one word of Eric Holder's Ferguson report. I don't really know the point to what Eric Holder is getting in. And of course, there's the, the DOJ, the Ferguson Report, and everyone's running with, see, see, cops are racist. I have to wonder. First off, I, I just, I'm not a conspiracy theory guy because for something like this, a conspiracy, right, that, the enti- that there's systemic racism in the Ferguson Police Department, it, it assumes that everyone is complicit and would never be a whistleblower. So in a department of I don't know how many hundreds of people, you're not going to have one who's going to say, hey, you know what? This racism thing is kind of wrong. This is wrong. I mean, in every other environment, whether it's us here on the radio show or whether it's with a group of friends, if someone were to say something racist, there's always someone who usually a majority of people say, hey, what's, what's wrong with you, man? Cut it out. But we're supposed to believe because if it's cops, that, that never happens. Every single person is in on the gag, including all the black cops. I find
2: it highly unlikely.
1: Do I think that there are some racist police officers? Absolutely. Do I think there are some officers who maybe don't give a black kid a fair shake? Sure. Do I think that, uh, you know, if a black kid is coming from a poor neighborhood and he's given a public defender, that he has a higher chance of of being tried as an adult or or getting the book thrown at him? Yeah, that's probably true. Do I believe that police departments like Ferguson, where you have a huge percentage of black cops, I know in L.A. it's 17%, I'd assume it's even higher in Ferguson That they are all racist looking to solely incarcerate black teenagers. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. And by the way, uh, a jury didn't believe it with Darren Wilson. The idea that it was just a cop, you know, a sheriff writing off, Ah, Darren, ah, you off some black kid? (laughs) Ha 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 ha, haven't we all? There you go, kid. Here's your letter of pardon. There was a jury, by the way, approved by Michael Brown's family. People need to understand that there is is a system of law, a rule of law, and it took place here. And people, many of whom were, I'm sure, black on the jury, there would have to be, looked at the actual facts of the cases and cleared Darren Wilson of any wrongdoing. So that's what happened. Why is Eric Holder coming out saying, well, actually, they're pretty racist? Why? Because... They initially, and this administration jumped on it, including your, your pansy in chief, Barack Obama, saying, this is wrong. We need to get to the bottom of it. They show division, the and then the guys cleared and acquitted. So instead of looking stupid, they go, well, we have to, we have to find a consolation prize. I know. We'll say the police department is racist. I just, I'm just so tired of it. And I've, I've talked about this before. Listen, I'm younger probably than a lot of people listening. I grew up in a post-racial America. I really did. I went to school. Well, I grew up in a post-racial Canada, but even in Canada where there is not the same history of oppression, where there is not. Well, there is. There's still a slavery in Canada, but I guess in more recent memory, it certainly hasn't had like the Detroit riots. um, You had kids who weren't even black trying to claim that they had been just they were being discriminated against and claiming racism. Why? Because they realized it wasn't really the case and they wanted to be able to claim it. They wanted to be able to take victim status in some capacity, so they kept it alive.
2: Now, was there a situation where you've got, say, the French-speaking kids and the English-speaking kids citing race, even though they're both pretty much the same visually, uh, as far as that goes?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, obviously you can have black French-Canadians or white French-Canadians, and same thing for for English-speaking Canadians. But um, there was a lot of division, actually. There was a, there's a lot of prejudice in French Canada and a lot of systemic discrimination against English-speaking Canadians. I mean, for example, if I open a diner, Stevens Diner, the apostrophe S results in me being fined out of business.
2: Ridiculous.
1: And if I, even if I'm, in a depart, if I'm in an area, like let's say the West Island of Montreal that's almost entirely English, and I want my menu to be written in English... And French, doesn't matter. The French writing has to be exactly 2.5 times minimum larger than English writing. Man. So they even wanted to ban English uh, English speaking in public parks. It never really took foot, but this was something that happened in French Canada. So if you want to talk about systemic discrimination, I mean, it happens right north of the border there in Quebec. Um, people will be an English-speaking Canadian. In French Canada, if his parents were born there because he has to go to French schools, I did for a long time, um, certainly faces much more discrimination systemically than a black kid in America.
2: Now, for your first several years, like when you were born to maybe five or six, uh, were your folks making sure the languages?
1: Yeah, I learned to read So I I spoke both simultaneously, and we spoke English at at home. But I actually learned to read French before I ever learned how to read English. So I guess technically you could say it was my first language because I learned to read and write French and did school entirely in French until uh, the fourth grade. And that was because once we got halfway through the fourth grade year, they borderline thought I was learning disabled because I was so behind. And it wasn't that I was learning disabled. It was that I... I could I could learn I could speak French pretty well I'm fluent in French I understand it but when you add French at that point which is not the language in which not not about speaking but natively thinking you know I think in English and then you toss math and history and geography on top of it I was just a little bit slow actually retarded it would be the term retarded meaning to arrive a little bit later that's what it means in French en retard it comes from that word so if you're en retard in French it's you're late. So I was arriving, I mean, just a little bit late. I was a little bit behind. And it was because I was doing all of these secondary classes in in French, which wasn't my first language. And then finally, there was a loophole that they found where they were allowed to put me in English immersion. So we still did French, but I learned my math and geography and social studies in English. And once we did that, my grades, you know, my grades went right back up to where they were. So, yeah. So, I mean, listen, imagine that. Imagine if you're a... a a black american and someone tells you you have to go uh to this school and you have to be in class with i don't know polish kids or white kids i'm trying to create you know the racial example from the language example they said no no you can't go into a class uh, or learn from from black teachers from teachers in your community You have to learn from people in another community who don't don't speak the same kind of language or dialect. You have to. You have no choice. That's the kind of systemic racism, uh, discrimination, sorry, that people see in French Canada as English Canadians.
2: But what about bringing in teachers who speak in, say, the urban vernacular of of the young African-American? Would that be a good thing for them or do you think that that would kind of hinder them in the long run?
1: Yeah, I mean, they should be teaching. Obviously, you should be learning proper English if you're in school. Well, what's pro- What's proper? Who are you? No, there's proper English. There is a way to speak the English language. It's disappearing, but there once was a way to speak the English language. We are going way over time, sir. Let's go to a break here, and we're going to bring my friend back on to talk about Eric Holder and the Hillary Clinton scandals and Duran, our good friend Gerald Morgan, here on Louder with Prouder when we come back after this song, which is playing
0: Right now. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder.
1: So glad to have you back. And Wong, we haven't had this, my my good friend back in a while. He used to be on all the time when we were talking about Islam and terrorism because he's quite the authority on the subject. Although we could technically have him on every week because uh, radical Islamists are blowing people up every single week. But it gets to be a little of a bit, bit of a downer. But this week we're having him on because we love him. Uh, Gerald Morgan, thank
4: you, sir, for being on the show. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me back. I appreciate it.
1: So you you were pretty passionate in your opinions, uh, from what I gather, with the <laughs> Iran Netanyahu situation and speech that he gave and, and the kind of stuffing he got from the administration.
4: Yeah, absolutely. I uh, I saw some of the responses from the administration people from some of the the highly uh, profiled democratic uh, operatives out there and I just I I'm floored by how they responded to that, Stephen. You've got a guy who is literally one of the most unique places in the world. Everyone around him has either at some point in history attacked him, conspired just, he's just doing this for political purposes. I understand that politicians do things for political purposes. They always have some kind of thing going on for politics. I get it. Elections Mm -hmm. happen. That's fine. Every single speech President Barack Obama has ever given has been about politics. And this guy comes in and says, here's a real threat. We think this is a really bad deal. And this is what we think should happen. And we go, oh, it's just politics. He doesn't really mean it. They're not really going to wipe him off the face of the – wait – We're reading a tweet from the Iranian government. We want to wipe you off the face of the (laughs) earth. Oh, maybe they're serious. I don't know.
1: Maybe they're serious. Well, to be fair, and if you read the New York Times, they're like, did Netanyahu ever actually say wipe Israel off the face of the map? No, he was quoting an imam. Yeah, he was quoting him saying (laughs) the imam was correct. Israel must be wiped off the face of the map. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it it couldn't be more clear. It couldn't be more cut and dry. Um, Now, see, obviously for me, the main takeaway is, okay, if there's a country that says we want to wipe off another country simply because of their Jew-ness, that's really the reason. Yeah. We, at at, at all costs, we stop them, Khan, apparently. Even though well, I'm not.
4: Uh, yeah, Go you ahead. have no basis in reality, Stephen. What are you talking about now? It's, it's. It's very similar to the situation that we had with North Korea. Where we're like, all right, all right, all right. We're going to give you this ability. We're going to go in and we're going to have inspections and we're going to monitor this process. But you can't have a nuclear weapon, all right? We're saying that, wink, wink. Mm-hmm. And then they end up having one. Why don't we talk to Seoul and South Korea and, and their government and see how that is with them having nuclear weapons. Now, they can't fire it past their own border, apparently. Right. Thank God they don't have the rocket scientists available for that. But still, they have the ability to wipe out Seoul before we could actually attack. (laughs) That's the problem. They can see us coming and they can nuke Seoul. That's the only reason that North Korea is still the regime that it is today and the most oppressive place to live on the planet outside of any Islamic country, of course. And that's why. And so you have Netanyahu going, huh, this hasn't worked in the past. You guys said this when you were talking about North Korea and you failed miserably. They hid this from you. Why do you think Iran is going to suddenly become a great global citizen now that they have the ability to have... You know, this research for medical purposes. It's for medicinal purposes, bruh. It's kind of like the pot argument. It's like, come on. It's not going to happen. The, the it, smoke it, and nukes. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, as a matter of fact, I wouldn't. I'd give
1: a little uranium if it meant that Ahmadinejad would put it in his hookah pipe and we'd be done with him. <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh, absolutely. Absolutely.
1: You I'm know, just going to have my after dinner hookah. What flavor would you like, sir? I don't know. Cinnamon apple. <laughs> <laughs>
4: Put that in your pipe and smoke it, buddy. That'd, that'd be awesome. <laughs> uh, I don't wish death death upon him, but you know, yes, maybe, maybe I. No, I, I maybe do I, wish death I upon ho- him. Well, no, no, no. I was being sarcastic. Maybe, you know, maybe,
1: maybe I do. I don't know. Maybe well, that's the whole thing, too. Like Fundip actually, you know what? Fundip even held me accountable there because I was saying that's ah, a tragedy when anyone dies, and immediately as it left my mouth, I realized that's untrue. And Fundip said. No, when we were talking about this guy who got shot by the LAPD. He was like, no, that's uh, no. not a thing. Tr- no, <laughs> I, I heard that.
4: And, and, and to an extent, I understand what you mean. You know, as, as Christians, we don't want people to die apart from a knowledge of God, right? We don't want that to happen because it's not a good place that you go to. But at some point, as being a human, you just don't want somebody to draw breath any longer on this planet. They're just not. <laughs> they're just not useful to anyone. <laughs> so- there are some people that just don't deserve to keep going. I know, and that's that's my own personal humanity, and I understand that I need to work on it. But still, still, I understand. We'll that's see.
1: going up in a tweet, and we'll get some hate mail for that. <laughs> I mean, I, okay, so okay, so we're talking about this. We're talking about Ahmadinejad, right? Netanyahu gives this speech, and the reaction. We haven't talked about that so much, Gerald. Why don't you tell us why you were so ticked off by the reaction? What was the reaction from people like Pelosi
4: yeah. and the like? Yeah, I mean, Pelosi and those guys are basically saying that this is an unprecedented event. I mean, Mika from uh, The Morning Joe was just livid about the possibility of Netanyahu even coming to speak before our Congress, as if our Congress has to do every single thing that the president says, right? There's (laughs) no—you can't have a divergent opinion at all. And they basically just said there's no world leader in history that's ever come and done this before to the United States. He was so mean to the president, and I can't believe it. He was so condescending. I'm like, the guy has a different opinion negotiations haven't worked we've been talking with israel israel's been telling us what the deal is and we've said "Nah, we don't really believe that we think iran's a bunch of good guys they're just misunderstood so now they come out and say well oh he's just he's the meanest guy out there oh it was just for politics it was just for his presidential election and i i can't stomach that as an american citizen i cannot stomach it to say that if you have a different opinion than our president you can't come and voice it isn't that what we're built on Sure. Well, I think I'd they're trying that. to
1: draw the parallel that, you know, it's outside influence and outside funding to Congress, which which shouldn't take place. But just speaking doesn't mean that's th- that's the case. And listen, there is an exception for Israel because they're the only ally we have in the most unstable area of planet Earth. By the way, it's always been the most unstable area on planet Earth. That's that's never really changed. Right. So to act as though it's the same as, you know, the president for of Germany coming in saying we want subsidies for chocolate. You know, it's not at all <laughs> right. the same thing. This is Chocolate? Israel.
4: Yeah, I know. Fun dip. <laughs> exactly. That's your takeaway. Um, well, here, here's. Let me just say this real quick. Okay. The, the difference is, you say it's outside influence on Congress. First of all, Congress doesn't yet, or maybe they're they're working on it. I think right now, have the power to do anything about this treaty with Iran sure. anyway, right? But what has the president been doing? What has John Kerry been doing? What ha, what has everybody been doing in the administration? Oh, they on, have been second, exerting influence. John Kerry. So here's another example. You know, I said well, nothing. I worked, maybe he's been doing nothing.
1: Well, you know, why the long face? <laughs> so people talk about, you know, uh, Netanyahu and and uh, Nancy Pelosi. OK, I said this earlier. If I weren't already skeptical of Barack Obama, I'd look at the list of Iranian officials supporting him and immediately start. You need to understand this. John Kerry, OK? John Kerry didn't get an Israeli endorsement. John Kerry was, however, endorsed by Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden. Wow, Remember, Osama bin Laden said, if you don't vote for Jad Kerry, we're going to attack you. I would say, okay, Osama bin Laden, terrorists, Ahmadinejad, these people apparently are on board. They're in cahoots with this administration. Maybe I'm just going to go for the other guy, if only for not always just guilt by association, but incredible guilt by terrorist association. <laughs>
4: Absolutely. With friends like that, he's like, oh, you're well liked over in that part of the world. Let's make you secretary of state. This will be great. And just so you know. My barometer for truth is pretty much anytime Nancy Pelosi flips and loses it, right? Right. Anytime she's like the Pharisees in the Bible, anytime they lose it, you know, Jesus was bringing the pain. You know, it's (laughs) like, I'm just saying, anytime she's standing up and barely clapping and then she's going outside and yelling at people, I'm like, oh man, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that speech. Apparently, it was a lot more truth in it than I thought. So I, I just, I don't get it. I really don't. It's sad. It really is. It's sad. Imagine. I mean, let's take the politics out of it and just be people for a minute, not Republicans, not anything. We see a country over here that is desperately telling us, don't do this. We have way more knowledge about what's going on over here than you do. And don't do this. You will absolutely put us all in a really bad place. These are very bad people, and you just don't get it. You've shown with ISIS, you just don't get it.
1: And, And by the way. Israel has never tried to do anything to Iran it's not like Israel is saying hey we need you to assist us in bombing Iran they've never done anything they've never put sanctions on Iran people can talk about Palestine they just want to make sure that Iran can't follow through on what they said which is blow them up Gerald Morgan will be right back with you here on ladder with Crowder if you're anything like me, you enjoy a good glass of wine. But finding the right kind can be a hassle. Or maybe you want to buy a nice bottle as a gift but don't know where to start. That's where Simplified Wine comes in. Simplified Wine makes buying good wine simple. Just call 844-297-WINE where a qualified sommelier will take your information budget, send you a curated list, and then wine straight to your door. It's just that simple. By the way, they also have a price match guarantee, so it's not only the easiest way to get great wine but the least expensive. All you do is call simplified wine at eight four four two nine seven 297 wine that's eight four four two nine seven 297 wine or don't like phone calls you can just go to simplifiedwine.com and hit the simplify button same thing just digital any wine you want they can get just call simplified wine at eight four four two nine seven 297 wine to have the best wine at the best price delivered straight to your door guaranteed what
2: could possibly be simpler call simplified wine today eight four four two nine seven 297 wine
1: to dance to a happy song. We are back. Fundip was just dancing yeah. in the studio.
2: He was doing the Surf Ninja move from that 90s film. I- I'm doing that can barely dance because his back is still not 100% move.
1: Well, you're also a little uninhibited because of the drugs. Uh, oh, yeah. All right. Let's bring back our guest, Gerald Morgan. Thank you for staying with us for another yes, segment uh indeed. did you say you had final thoughts on the iran deal before we wanted to go to hillary clinton or did you just want to move right on to uh to rodham
4: well i no no more thoughts I've, I've expressed my opinion it saddens me we better keep an eye on what's going on and congress better be able to do something about it if our president does something that we disagree with which it seems like he's doing right now so anyway racism
1: has known no greater ally than gerald morgan so hillary clinton <laughs> yeah. what are, what are your thoughts <laughs> Here on the uh, the email scandal, Jared. Oh, Jared, Gerald. Gerald there's I uh, Jared is my video producer. Gerald, there are too many G's. We're just going
4: to you're call you're the right. G. There's about a hundred pounds and a foot difference in that. <laughs> so True. you know, for those no, who don't a foot, know,
1: Gerald Morgan and I. I know some people are going. To, we're both we're both Christian conservatives, but we do like to have a, a few beers. You know, we're beer we're beer enthusiasts. Gerald yes. likes wine. We went out to have a uh, a couple beers in the wonderful Western Michigan, Grand Rapids, Beer City, USA. You're going
2: straight to hell now having a beer.
1: (laughs) Um, And Gerald and I were fine. You know, we maybe had, over the course of night, maybe three or four. You know, Gerald's about 240. I'm about 220. And then our friend Jared was with us. He's about 145. (laughs) And he gets up to go to the bathroom, (laughs) and we see him kind of zigzagging. We're going, oh, my gosh, he's a lot smaller than us.
4: (laughs) He might, right. not, he, he might need some food. <laughs> yes. Get him some shrimp poppers, something. So, Good God. Good Lord. Help that kid! No, it was great. I loved it. I can yeah,
2: I can teach him how to gain weight. I'm really good at it.
4: That's a skill. Yeah. Well, well, well real quick, uh, you know what? Your your insurance uh, case is now blown funded because you're dancing with a bad back. So if you got any other issues there, you may want to delete this episode from <laughs> anything. Uh, here,
2: here's why I'm dancing, man. Right here, I'm dancing on these things, buddies.
4: Oh yeah, yeah. holding up not- my my meds. Okay. It's not Facebook that's going to run you. It's yeah, just the live radio. I,
2: hydrocodone <laughs> and cyclobenzaprine <laughs> and ibuprofen.
4: You're uh, going to get jumped on the way out. I, I'm like tripping, man. Drugs. It's great. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So back back, back to Hillary. I apologize. Okay, I, I, go went down ahead, a, Joel. I went down a rabbit trail. This place um, is a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Speaking of nightmares, Hillary Clinton's office at the State Department, um, she she did something that is not uncommon, right? You have an email that is not your State Department address. Fine. No big deal. The big problem is that they're not supposed to do uh, all of their stuff on their private email because we can't control it and we can't document what's going on. And that's part of the biggest thing that we talk about with transparency in this administration is that it's supposed to be transparent. It doesn't mean that she did anything wrong. But it does raise a whole heck of a lot of questions about some of the scandals that she's been a part of. And so I think that's the biggest problem that I have with this issue. And I have a huge problem that she didn't even have a State Department email address. And she did not voluntarily turn these emails over. That's the biggest portion of this. 55,000 pages. By the way, I'm a sommelier, run a wine business. You know that. I have more than 55,000 pages of emails I could turn over tomorrow from the last six months, much less four years as being the head of the State Department. I mean, come on, our Secretary of State, sorry. Um, So, it's it's a big deal.
1: A big thing too is, you know, Hillary Clinton and these, you know, these Democrats now who hold office, they were huge on, you know, we need more transparency from the government when they were one of the most transparent governments in modern history. I mean, certainly when you compare them to Clinton, they weren't ideal and there were things that I wasn't a huge fan of. You know, you look at the Patriot Act in retrospect. but yeah, this is this is another issue, obviously, of hypocrisy. One thing I will say is conservatives are going, you know, even the left isn't defending Hillary Clinton, right? Well, that's true, and they're saying this is going to be the one that takes her out. Listen, if Benghazi didn't do it, I think conservatives are getting a little overzealous. Okay, she didn't hand over some emails. L- let me let me try and put this into context. Barack Obama, the man who is our president in Illinois, voted for live babies who survived abortions to be thrown into waste paper baskets he was the only person in the state who including of all democrats who voted that that should be legal that doctors did not have a a duty to those babies to protect them once they survived botched abortions that man voted to throw live babies in a linen closet and he still was elected president so if that didn't take him out I don't think, you know, a few Gmail spam filters uh, are going to take out Hillary Clinton. It's because conservatives don't control the delivery mechanism. They don't control the media. And even though the media isn't necessarily happy with her right now, if she's the candidate in 2016, you can bet they'll scrub this clean.
4: Oh, and by the way, I don't know if everybody wants to check their calendars. It's March of 2015. We can barely remember stuff two months before an election, much less a year and a half. Right. There's no way ever. Ever, ever, that this is going to be a thing, right? So this is this isn't this isn't going to be something that we really talk a whole lot about. And I, I don't like it that Republicans, especially kind of on the far right, will just go, "Oh my gosh, this is exactly what we were looking for." No, you've got to beat her on ideas. You right. can't just beat her because she's she's a bad leader or she's a bad uh, Secretary of State or she did stuff. That, I mean, come on, she's a Clinton. If she can survive being a Clinton, yeah, <laughs> come on, what are we going to throw at her that's going to take her down?
1: Well, exactly, nothing. and let's be honest: if it's Clinton versus Bush again, we lose. Fun dip. Oh yeah,
2: that whole family is coated with Teflon. I, nothing that Bill did made him unlikable to the left. Nothing that Hillary is going to do makes her unlikable or unelectable to the left. Somehow or other, she has to be beaten in the primaries so that you get somebody that we could possibly beat. It's it's scary when i look at it i think we don't have anyone that is compelling enough as a candidate we've got plenty that would make a good president but none that would make a good candidate and you've got to be a candidate first and that's what kills me
1: yeah i don't know if she can be beaten in the primaries i mean who's going to take her out joe biden if only he can stop rubbing (laughs) little girls shoulders and kissing them on the forehead
4: creepy (laughs) I'm glad he's in politics, otherwise he'd be in jail. I I mean, for the stuff that he's done. (laughs) Joe Biden's not
1: creepy, okay? The train stopped at creepy about four times ago on the Joe Biden Express as he's going on into pedophile Maryland. He is not...
2: But he also hits on the adult women, too. I've seen photos.
1: I think if it breathes, you know, Joe Biden... (laughs) I think, honestly, honestly, this is why hair plugs should be illegal at the federal level. Because I think... Joe Biden has a second wind, and it's false. It's because of hair plugs. He doesn't deserve <laughs> yeah,
4: it. You're so right. We wouldn't have to deal with this if it was not for those hair plugs. If it wasn't for those
1: hair plugs, he'd be like, "Well, I'm bald. I guess you know my ticket's kind of been punched. These are the cards I'm given, and I better just settle into you know a sexless marriage with my wife." <laughs> but but instead, they say what?
2: that they say that baldness is a sign of virility,
1: though. It is. It usually is a sign of high testosterone, but some of it's being converted. Anyways, I
4: won't get into the science of it. But <laughs> the point is, you're going to have a bunch of guys shaving their heads tomorrow. Right, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't work that way, guys. Like the Belgian monk look
1: is so hot right now. <laughs> but Joe Biden's mm-hmm. going, "Hey, sugar, I got these hair plugs. It's like I'm it's like I'm 15 again. I'm going to go out and grab I'm going
4: to go out and play some grab ass so you know yeah you're right absolutely the biker chick picture that he has just shows you that it's anything that breathes okay no kidding (laughs) Uh, Um, he's
1: lucky it was a christian biker gang otherwise old tough joe biden uh would would have been punched right in the face okay so gerald before we uh take you off the air before we give you the muppet cane you said you had an opinion on our previous guest there or, or the conversation with dr boniface on pot
4: go yes uh, so I have history in my family where we've dealt with the ravages of drugs and had a complete turnaround with my uh, with my sister and she's now doing amazing work in rehab but I would say that the federal government should stay out of it I, I really absolutely 100% believe that and I think you said that you guys had covered that right before I had uh, signed on to listen in um, but I, I think it is one of those issues that uh, I would be out there arm-in-arm arm with you saying hey don't be a moron don't do this and I would I would do everything that I could to keep people away from it, but I believe it's a state issue. That's the kind of transparency in government that I want. I want a federal government that has just enough power to take care of the things that it should, and then a state government that I can hold responsible because I live here. Yeah.
1: Well, I I agree with you. I mean, for example, Reason Magazine or any of these, there's never been a single libertarian uh, publication that I've seen that has just taken out space to say, hey, Let's educate people on the dangers of drugs. They take out 20, 30 a month telling people it should be legal and why they're really not as harmful as we've been told. But then they absolve themselves of the responsibility of educating. You know, that's the problem with libertarianism is is, – If you believe in personal responsibility you should take responsibility and you should try and be a decent citizen there's a reason that libertarians give the least they give less than conservatives and liberals because as a general rule a huge contingency of libertarians out there and i by the way am more libertarian and so is gerald most of them are just very selfish people and they equate wants with needs so she talked about that but she did make an interesting case she talked about how the you know the um the cognitive effects of marijuana are everyone the the you know the, the mental health issues are for people who have certain triggers, but the cognitive effects, like on the frontal lobe and the drop in IQ, she said that affects anyone, period. She said, you know, for a libertarian society, for a free society to function, it can only function on reason, on a society that's able to reason. She said, well, what do you think it's going to do for a society? The ultimate irony is libertarians are wanting to create a new world where you could see a drop in IQ of average seven points, which is not little. So you're creating a libertarian society? while removing societies or at least impeding their ability to reason which i did find very interesting
4: it is a very interesting comment but it's the same comment that i would use on a number of really tough issues that's the price of freedom if if we want to be free then we can't be free in some aspects and not free in other aspects because we don't want people to be dumb we don't want people to make bad decisions with guns we don't want people to make bad decisions with cars all of the things that we have freedoms around do have consequences if we abuse them, right? And, yes, if our society does become six or seven points dumber okay, well, let me ask it you this, is, that's a problem. Let me ask you this. Prostitution, should that be legal? No. Why not? Because of the crimes surrounding prostitution. Well,
1: there's more crimes that surround drugs, whether it's legal or illegal.
4: No, 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 no. I'm saying that people are forced into prostitution. People are not forced into doing drugs a lot of times. Well, if prostitution, a if do prostitution, prostitution, were, legal,
1: if prostitution were legal and they paid taxes, no one would be forced into
4: prostitution. See, that's a libertarian, that well, no, libertarian. libertarian argument. I never made that argument, though. libertarian That's a libertarian argument. I never made that argument. I think that prostitution should totally be legalized.
2: It's legal in the Netherlands. I had a friend who lived in the Netherlands. He said... It worked as a system there. It totally worked. It's a social... First off,
1: high fun dip. It's a socialist (laughs) area where, by the way, women still get incredibly abused. STDs are incredibly high, and the mental ramifications are horrible. But my whole point is, Gerald, to be consistent if you're going with... The, the central argument of that's the price of freedom. You would have to apply the same
4: to prostitution. You can't because you're comparing apples to oranges. In prostitution, we're not. You, we're not. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I have some experience with this. I've worked in human trafficking before. He was, wor- to help he was working the like Midnight Cowboy. No, I,
2: <laughs> he was a was human trafficker. Um, no,
4: <laughs> I was working against human trafficking. Against. So that's I not what you over- said. I've been out of Cambodia, and I've been on the border of Thailand. I've gone into these places, and I've seen this. The problem with prostitution, and I have a moral objection to it, right? But I'm not going to put that on this argument. The problem that I have with prostitution is that you can never tell if it's forced or if it's voluntary, Right, that's very, very hard to tell. You can have somebody that has control over girls. I've talked to people that have been in forced prostitution in Dallas, Texas. Okay, not in some third world country where they're trapped in this by some guy. That's what I'm talking it's, about. It's but a but very it's the same
1: argument. It's the same argument libertarians would use that for would, drugs. Yes. Well, let me explain to you how. That wouldn't be the case. No one would be forced into prostitution. They would say the reason they're forced into it is because it's illegal and prostitutes are afraid to go to the authorities because they're already breaking a crime. And if you simply made it legal, they could report the pimps. They could report the people trying to pressure them. Therefore, that if you make it legal, it would be safer for all to prostitute themselves. It makes perfect
4: sense. It it sounds like it does. It sounds very reasonable, but in practice, it's not how it works.
1: Exactly. And it's the same thing with drugs. We should give it a try. It's the same thing with drugs. <laughs> I'm going undercover if as a you prost- legalize drugs, <laughs> If you legalize drugs, and I'm not saying that they shouldn't be able to. I'm not saying that prostitution should be illegal, let alone drugs. But if you legalize drugs, crime doesn't, doesn't decrease. It simply becomes more underground crime. The point is, at some point, people don't have certain freedoms. Even in a free society in the United States, at a certain point, we say there's a line, right? So... Whether you're saying the line is drugs or prostitution, at that point it becomes subjective, and it is a moral judgment. Now, I would agree with you. Essentially what you're doing when you legalize prostitution is you're basically turning the government into a pimp, right? They're now paying taxes. They're basically a pimp. They're they're allowing women to work legally as prostitutes. But the same thing, if you legalize drugs, it doesn't put... Uh, it doesn't put drug dealers out of, out of business like, oh, gosh, pot's legal. I better straighten up and fly right. Then they start dealing in prostitution, which is why libertarians say, well, just legalize prostitution. Then they'll just go to underage prostitution or they're, oh, well, th- well, then let's just legalize that. Well, then they're going to go to selling guns. Well, guns should be legal anyways. They're still going to sell illegal guns. No matter what you do, criminals right. will be criminals. And that's why I think it's important to have a more constructive dialogue than just freedom These are our rights because not all wants are rights. So uh, that's just my point.
4: I definitely understand and I I appreciate that point of view. And I wouldn't say that I would go so far as to say if we did all those things that the the crime would just go away. I totally get that. But I do say – Freedom does have its prices. And sometimes we have to pay those prices on things that we disagree with and don't like. Where we draw the line, that's a good conversation for another time.
1: Well, like prostitution. You might just have to be okay with prostitution being legal. As a matter of fact, I think that's a direct quote. We're going to tweet that out. Gerald Morgan says, (laughs) Prostitution for all. And he was a former pimp. Thank you very much, Gerald Morgan. We'll have you back on the show here soon. It's been too long. Thanks, buddy. See you. God bless. And uh, we will be back, of course, on Louder. With Crowder, You're listening here in Southeast Michigan, now Alaska. Of course, online on the oh-so-popular podcast. Don't smoke pot. Don't become a prostitute. That's just me, Stephen Crowder, looking
0: out for you. You're listening to Louder with Crowder. Louder with Crowder. Oh, I'm in the
1: That's my uh, that's my mother-in-law's favorite song
2: on the show is Strange Animal by Gowan. I love that song. It's so cool. It's fun.
1: It's so corny, and it's funny. Dana Lash's husband, Chris, hates Gowan for whatever reason. He's like, I hate that guy.
2: Oh, <laughs> no, man. That, that's a fun song. I was so excited when I told my wife we were going to be using that, and she knew of it. She's like, oh, yeah, I like that song. That's excellent. Well, we've covered a lot today.
1: When you think about it, the... the Clinton, Iran, DOJ, LAPD shooting for a show that's, if you don't mind me saying so, hilarious. We cover news in a much more efficient way than a lot of other and shows. And we talk about drugs, too. Talked about drugs and prostitution. Actual Pop conversations. Culture. Yeah. Actual conversations had taken place as opposed to, you know, I get requests all the time. And I'm sure you get this as a you know radio station manager, producer, people just saying, Hey, I have this book. Can I come on? Like one guy was talking about climate change, saying I'm writing this book on climate change. And I said, you know what? There are probably 50 people I can interview on climate change, and the people I'm going to pick are the people I trust and know and have a good rapport with, like Fulimer and McAleer. We'll, we'll get them on. They're Irish, actually. You'll like them. They're full-on oh, Irish. Cool. Full-on Irish. They sit there and talk like that. Problem with, you, I, I remember her talking. Someone was saying they didn't want petroleum product. She said, you don't, you don't use petroleum product? Is that a plastic bracelet? Are oh, those plastic earrings, but you don't like petroleum product? What about your dress? Do you have a, Do you have any kind of buttons on your dress, but you don't like petroleum product? And just went
2: off. That's awesome.
1: Are you wearing those shoes from the 80s that were made out of rubber? Yeah, I know. It's just, uh, they're great. And what I do love about uh, Anne McElhinney, sorry, her husband is McElhinney. She's Anne McElhinney. One of my favorite quotes from her is she talked about, you know, Someone said, well, well, since the general consensus is that global warming is real, what makes you right? She said, here's the thing. Science is not governed by consensus. Science should be determined by what's right. There was consensus at one point that the Earth was flat. There was consensus, and she went down where there was consensus. But the science went out because it was the right science, not the consensus. That's what science is. And we're sitting there like, Gosh, that's one of those things where it was so brilliantly put, there's no way I can say it. Oh, yeah. That's when I get inspired. Not when someone goes on and drones on on cable news or AM radio about, oh, Obama, Obama sucks. But when someone says something in a phrase or in a paragraph where they just nail that point where I go, I don't think anyone can say it more perfectly. That's when you know someone is right on the money and they've done their homework. And we don't have enough of that on the right. I hate to say it, but Jon Stewart does that really, really well. A lot of liberals do that really, really well. And a lot of conservatives, you know, I think it's the cable news syndrome and the AM radio syndrome. If they can say something in two phrases, well, better to draw it out for eight minutes so they can have a segment. Whereas me coming from a stand-up background, if I can say it in three phrases, let me see how I can say it in eight words and um, it's just, you know, that's what it comes down to for efficiency, depending on whether people have done live performances or live debates. If you haven't, you know, you just like to pontificate and hear yourself talk. But
2: I've always liked the phrase, keep it tight, bright, and brief.
1: Yeah, but it doesn't work for a five-hour morning show like but, some people But have.
2: yeah, but that that's the way to get the point across quickly so that people can understand it, and that's... When I try to write a news story, I don't want it to be eight lines. I want it to be three or four. Car-
1: yeah, but you're doing it in, you know, three minutes. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. See, it forces you to be clever. It forces you to be uh, succinct, where someone who has a daily three-hour show or some people who have a five-hour show, they're encouraged to be long and self-important. Yeah. And that's why a lot of liberals look at conservatives and say, oh, gosh, they're so boring. They're so self-important. Unfortunately... That's by design. It's, it's by design with the way conservative media is delivered. And we try to not do that here at Lotta with Crowder. Listen, I know we're a little bit edgy. I'm more of an entertainer. And there's, there's I, I don't lie about that. But we're not just going to come on and, and be self-important to hear ourselves talk. When you hear someone say, I'm not going to have someone come on and do the host job for you. Well, why? I'm not a neuropsychiatrist. We had a neuropsychiatrist on today. We'll have an expert policy. We'll have a foreign affairs correspondent. We'll have a, a scientist on global warming on. I don't, I, I, I'm not self-important enough to believe that I know everything best. So we bring you the people who do. That's how you get good information. See you next week. Lotter with Crowder.